Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. You're a slacker. You stupid idiot! Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Oh, idiot! Game over, man! Hey, hey, careful Whoa. with that, Ronnie Millsap. We're downrange. What's the matter with you? I feel like a Kentucky Fried Idiot. Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. We're putting the band back together. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. Gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. I was going to spend a night assembling the boys you, but this is holding my interest. I got that. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. This is episode 11, and we are returning to do our uh, deep geek into the world of Battlestar Galactica with our favorite episodes from the second half of season three. My name is Todd, and with me as always, from the Windy City, live via a couple of solo cups and a ball of twine, the Cactus Jack to my Mikey Whipwreck. Oh! Somebody get this man a Leonard Cohen album. I give you the man they call Tim. Hello, hello. Boy, you went old, old, old school on that one, my friend. Little EC dub, I thought you Little might appreciate. Little ECW is right. Mikey Whipwreck, good lord. <laughs> Uh, you you went you went deep on that one, my friend. Well done, well done. Well, thank you. It, wasn't his gimmick pretty much just getting his ass kicked? Uh, yeah, yeah. His his gimmick was basically yeah doing that and, and losing. So yes, which is kind of funny because in a roundabout way that sort of was was Mick Foley's <laughs> kind of in some in some ways. Although you you knew when Cactus Jack came into town that things were going to get a little violent. So well. Yeah, but he, I mean, I guess uh, more taking abuse in his case and in, in Mikey's case, he was just, well, no, he was winning matches, wasn't he, without even getting like a lick in or something? Wasn't that part of the whole deal with him? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, Tommy Dreamer was the one who went for a lot of losses for a while and then, you know, finally came up with, with a win at some point. But but yeah, My, Mikey Whipwreck just got the tar beat out of him and then somehow would pull off a win or, or he would lose. But it was, it was just kind of a, you know, he was just more of a punching bag more than anything else. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to take that moniker. Uh, of course, uh, that kind of is uh, tied into a little adventure I had, uh, what was it, about a week ago? I can't remember. Like the, the past three, three, four weeks have been a blur, I was gonna more say, so this, than usual. This is a good segue into uh, the last couple of weeks of uh, shenanigans. Yes, shenanigans were had, shenanigans did ensue. <laughs> I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. Yeah, I had a chance to go meet the man, the myth, the legend, the hardcore legend, if you will, uh, Mr. Right. Mick Foley. Very nice. Very which nice. was uh, which was great. It was uh, fantastic to drive down to the illustrious, uh, shining city of Saugus, Massachusetts. If you've uh, if you've never heard of Saugus, Massachusetts, there's a really good reason for that. It's mostly just a place you drive through to get to Boston. I'm sorry if you live in Saugus, but. I'm pretty sure that is just the case. You ever notice how in Massachusetts they just have interesting names for their towns? Like, I remember my dad at one point worked at, you know, with what he does, worked in Swampskit, mm. which as a kid I just thought was a swamp. But, you know, it, it's just like, yeah, that, Saugus, I don't know, some interesting names over there. Well, and then, of course, you have Worcester. Oh, Worcester, dollar twenty-five pa. You can always, <laughs> I'm coming out of the boo. <laughs> um, if you live in New England, you're required to have at least heard that 
that bit at least three, four times yes. in your life. If yes. not, you're just kicked out, along with the Yankees and the Jets fans. We keep a couple around just to make things interesting. That's right. Uh, you can always tell if someone's from New England by how they say Worcester. If they say Worcester, you know you have yourself a carpetbagger. <laughs> if they say if they say Worcester, then you know that you're you're dealing with someone who's from around here. And then of course there's all the there's many shades of pronunciation in the in the correct idiom, if you will. Yes, dialect. You have the yeah, you have the Worcester. And you, I mean, you, I mean, there's all kinds of. I mean, we, you could you could break that down all night, which we won't. <laughs> Let's just say stuff gets interesting in naming Massachusetts towns. That's right. That's right. Uh, but back but, to the story. So uh, I had a chance to go down to Saugus, Mass. The best part of this is Mick Foley was doing his book tour, and he did a stop at the Kowloon Chinese Restaurant in Saugus, yeah. Massachusetts. There it is. Which kind of makes no sense unless you've read his book. Have a nice day where he talks about he was getting Chinese food the night that he won the the championship for the first time, won the, won the World Heavyweight Championship for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And he specifically mentions Kowloon's by name. So at some point during the night, Mick uh, is, is up there doing his spiel and talking, and, and, they br- and so we're in a Chinese restaurant. We're in, the, we're in the upstairs area of the Chinese restaurant, the Kowloon Comedy Club, uh, which... It sounds about as much exactly what you would think it would be like. And uh, so he's on this tiny little stage up up in front of the room, and the tables are all around him. And the the table right next to the stage, to his left, our right, the, you can get food up there. So, so they bring over, like, I don't even think it's a poo-poo platter. I think it was whatever is the, the next level above a poo-poo platter when you just say, I don't care anymore, bring me everything. <laughs> Bring me all the meats. <laughs> and when I say everything, oh, I mean Lord. everything. <laughs> and so they set this platter down on the table next to him. And Mick is in the middle of telling a story. And he's so, you know talking about something. He's, yeah, and so then Vader's like, oh, that smells good. <laughs> and you can hear like heavy breathing over the microphone. Like, <sighs> <sighs> For a moment, we were all part of an obscene food call. It was... <laughs> That's awesome. It was awesome and yet disturbing all at the same time. <laughs> oh it my was gosh. just that moment alone was worth the price of admission. Wow. Um, and the funny part was as he's talking, he's and he's up on a stage. I'm, I mean, the stage is maybe two feet off the ground. And he says, even even now at my age and my physical condition, he says, I'm up on a surface like this, and all I'm thinking about is where I'm going to drop an elbow. <laughs> And he says, I know, I know that I'm getting older because I, I, if it had been back in the day, I could have totally cleared this table and gotten to the next one and landed right on top of her, right on top of, uh, right on top of her food right there. But now I wouldn't even make it to that first table. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so it was great. It was a great time to, to go and to hear Mick tell some stories that I had heard before, some that I hadn't. Um, John cool. Cena's father. Mm-hmm. was in the audience and he actually had had John Cena senior senior whatever well, I forget what his name is now I think it was John senior yeah, uh, yeah get up and tell some stories and it's so great to see someone who is in the business because he got up there and automatically he just went into shtick yeah know? yeah and uh, it was great that's um, cool that's yeah because Cena's from Massachusetts originally well that's what I thought and I I didn't put the because that was a little bit after I kind of 
was was not watching wrestling as much as right as I right. had been before. Right. So I I kind of didn't know as much about some of those guys, but yeah. it was a it was a great time, man. It was a real good time. Got to go up, shake the man's hand. That's uh, cool. Get, get some stuff signed and get a get a photo with him, um, and and feel very small. Uh, <laughs> Not as small as you would have felt if you were standing next to the Undertaker. No, no, uh, definitely not. And I don't think I ever want. So, I, I, I do have a. Well, you know what? I'm not going to tell that story. Maybe one of these days we'll have my friend Stu, who went, who went with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get him to do a guest spot on the podcast because he has a fantastic Undertaker story. <laughs> fantastic. Nice. And and I don't want to. I don't want to steal his thunder. Yes. Not even. I don't even want to steal a little bit of it. So we'll we'll let that go. For another time, but hey, you you got to uh, you know brush with greatness. I did uh, of the hardcore variety, and uh, yeah, that's that's fantastic. It's 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 very cool. A guy from our college years, we used to watch on Monday Night Raw every every Monday night in the, in the old apartment. And now, did you got you, to shake his hand? Didn't you go to the Raw taping that they had at UNH at Durham? Did I you did. go to that? Yes, I did. Yeah. Now, is that the one where the the New Age Outlaws dumped Foley and? Uh, and Terry Funk into a dumpster? No, no. That that one is known for um, Austin filming an off-site promo where he threw the Intercontinental title into the Piscataqua River. That's right. Okay. <laughs> off, off, off the defunct bridge. I forget what the bridge was called, but he just it's the, he it's just the General Sullivan Bridge. The, the General, General Sullivan, Sullivan Bridge. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he he just lined up and threw it. So, uh, nice. so that, that that was pretty funny. Um, and then. And I think that was when also The Rock was kind of in his early, you know, early stages with the uh, the Nation of Domination. So, oh my gosh, yes. Which let me tell you, uh, I mean, he was known as Farouk, but Ron Simmons, oh my gosh, that guy is huge. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you do not want to mess with that man. <laughs> Damn! No, 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 no. Holy moly! No. So one of the funny parts was uh, you mentioned The Rock. So he was talking about uh, when. He was uh, the day that he was going to win the the heavyweight championship for the first time, mm-hmm. and it was a very kind of last minute thing. Like it was not, this was not planned out in advance. Oh, interesting. Uh, that far, because I guess they they either, if I remember right, they were talking about it that day or like the day before. It just it kind of came out of the blue, and he's in there with, uh, in the room with a uh, with Vince and The Rock, and because yeah, he won it from The Rock, right? I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, getting that. he won okay. it from The Rock, yeah. And uh, and there and he's like, I think he, he the way he tells it, he's like, and Vince says to me, hey pal, uh, how would you like to win the Nash, win the uh, heavyweight champion? <laughs> and he tried to talk them out of it. <laughs> he's like, I don't know, I don't know if this would be a great a good idea, Vince. You know, I don't know if this is going to help us with the ratings or anything like that. And he says, Rock must have been looking around, waiting for Ashton Kutcher to jump out from behind a potted fern or something. Like, am I getting punked? Is this guy trying to talk us out of giving him the championship? Oh my gosh! And it, but it's it's such a Foley sort of thing. Like that, I could see him doing that yeah. just by reading about his career. Like right. he he kind of understands the business and and felt he had a really good idea of where he was in that business, where he kind of fit in. Yeah, but then again, it was always you know. Again, if you read the book, he t- his wife would talk about him. You know, why are you letting these guys just beat up on you? Why don't right. you? And that that sort of propelled him to be more of a badass. And well, but and and he and as it turned out, he woefully underestimated that because that that was one of the turning points in that whole you know WCW WWE ratings war that was going on, <clears throat> which is 
Bischoff got wind that he was going to win. Yeah. And they went on and they spoiled because it was a because t- Raw was taped at the time. Yep. And so when Raw was on, all of the results of the matches were known, at least, you know, from guys, you know, behind the scenes in the business. So Bischoff goes and spoils it all. They read all of the results during yeah, some sh- match in WCW on, on WCW Nitro. Yeah, and, Shivani was the one who uh, was the announcer was reading it out, I guess. Right, right. And and then what ends up happening is everyone switches over from Nitro to Raw to see Mick Foley win the belt. And I so think, they end up killing him in the ratings, I think. I think the I think he said something like 500,000 households. Yeah. Half yeah. a million households switched right after that announcement. Which is a testament to him as I mean not just as as a person in the business but but how he was viewed by the fans. I mean everyone I mean he really sold that underdog thing well. Oh yeah. And and for him to be on the receiving end of that and and to get that was just I mean you never saw that happen on on the programming. It was always, you know, guys who look like the rock or look like yeah. Triple H or Shawn Michaels. I mean, those were the guys who won the belt. Never yeah. a guy like Mick Foley who, you know, beaten up and just looks, you know, just, just doesn't look the part. And, but With it turned out thimble, to be the best. His thimble full of natural athletic ability, as he puts it. <laughs> That's right. That's he did. Right. He, he did pay. He talked about that. He, at one point, you know, I, I think so. No one had really asked a question, but he turned to this one person. He says, okay, he says, I don't usually get this personal this quickly in the show, but, I feel that I can. I'm going to be very honest with you. I am not a natural athlete. <laughs> it was just, just the way he, he phrased it and set it up. I, it was I, great. I, I could see that. I could totally see that. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah, but it was a great time. It was a great time. If you if you have a chance to go and, and check him out while he's out doing this tour, I highly recommend it. It's a it's a good time. And if you, if you pay for the, the VIP to get the... The, the signing and the photo and all that is fantastic as well. He's he's very gracious. That was another thing as we're as we're waiting in line afterwards uh, for to do the signing. He uh, the, one of his a couple of his pens ran out, and so one of the security guys got up and, and went to get a pen, and, and Foley gets up and goes with him, and everyone's like, "Well, where is he going?" And the <laughs> and the bouncers and the bouncers even like, "I don't know where he's going. We already sent someone out to get the pens." I'm like, "Well, he's either going to have a pee, or." He's going to see if there's anything left at the kitchen. <laughs> can, can can I get some more teriyaki, please? I was like, that man, that man right now is knee deep in some lo mein. It's he's oh it's all gosh. done. He's going to come back with a noodle hanging down his face. And Chicken you know what? I, I don't blame him. Yeah, I don't crab, blame crab him. Rangoon. He is the king of Kowloon tonight. That's right. That's right. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's move a, move this on a little bit, so we don't talk about Mick Foley all night. Can I just jump into my shenanigans real quick? Oh. You're my shenanigans, right? Put those away. Oh yes, which, please. Which is very, which is which, you know. That's right. Yes. Pales in comparison, but um, but uh, yeah, my my sons. I shouldn't say pales in as a bad way, but my son's uh, marching band uh, competed in Indianapolis uh, at the Lucas Oil Stadium a couple ah. weeks ago in the. Bands of America, super regional competition of bands. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, so I got to walk, because uh, I'm helping with um, props, because uh, bands these days have props. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we were in the tunnel, and uh, I, as I texted you and a few other folks, I, I, have, I have walked where Manning and Brady have walked. And it was, it was very, uh, very just amazing to just kind of be on a field like that and uh, be, be on the on the Colts home field and 
run across it and, you know, just kind of, uh, Notice that, my God, this is basically a high school field surrounded by a lot of seats. Yes. <laughs> so. Yep. It's it's the whole Hoosiers thing, man. It I is. Mean, it really the is. The baskets are the same height as our gym. You know, it's like, so. yeah, but there's a whole lot of other junk around this, Coach. Uh, yeah, yeah. And now, that's, that is awesome that, you're, that your son got to do that yes. and, and to, to, to perform, you know, as a, as a marching band geek of, of, of some standing back in the day. That would have been a dream come true. Um, and I think it's fantastic that you as a dad got to do that. Yeah. I am yeah. still very upset with you that you didn't go and stomp on the logo. I am I mean, that is a missed opportunity. Yeah, we, we had limited time and I, I was past the fifty where I had to set my prop up. So to run back and stomp on it would have uh, probably would have caused the band to get penalized. And uh, Lord knows just getting my rear end off the field was, you know, penalty enough. So I, I just had to, you know, <laughs> make sure I didn't make a complete farce out of the whole thing. Uh, I guess I'll let it go this time. But I did take a picture next to Manning's statue, um, although, as, as as you pointed out, I, I think I was using the wrong finger when I pointed at him. So. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we have not hung out long enough. Yeah, That's apparently <laughs> not. We're, we're, we're due, I think. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that was my – they sounded fantastic. The, the, the band just uh, – it was a very jazz-oriented um, program that they put on, and it was just uh, – incredible i i gotta shoot you the video so you can kind of see the the just the, all the kids are just just amazing musicians so it was it was very totally cool to take that yeah in. that's beautiful man all right so uh, a couple of things to get out of the way here before we uh, we get a little further into our program uh thank you very much for for downloading and listening we really appreciate everybody who does you can find us on the social medias uh, on facebook twitter and instagram all three of those at free range idiocy you can also go to freerangeidiocy.com. That'll take you right to our Podbean page where you can download all of our episodes. As I said, this is episode 11, so you got 10 to catch up on if you just jumped on this train. You can also find us on iTunes as well if you're more of an Apple kind of guy uh, or gal, whichever. And uh, is if you listen on Spotify, too bad because I've been far too busy <laughs> doing stuff to even care of, to even investigate Spotify. So once again, zero progress. At this point, a New Year's uh, proposition or, or uh, yeah, whatever. it's a New Year's it's a New Year goal at this point. It's not going to happen. It's just not twenty twenty Spotify. I'm I'm comfortable with that. Uh, instead of Baltar twenty twenty, we're going to go Baltar and Spotify twenty twenty. There, the, there we that's go. There we go. That's the dream ticket. No more, Mister Nice Guys. Uh, so, anyways, now on to our, our most important question of the evening thus far. Uh, sir, what you drinking? To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Uh, well, I, I'm happy to announce the MLM has come to an end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the refrigerator is no longer producing uh, Goose Island beer, so tonight... Uh, you managed in, to separate the male and female cans? I <laughs> think so. Uh, tonight it is a seasonal Samuel Adams chocolate mm. bock. Uh, to Ooh. to commemorate the uh, the the winter season starting, so very nice. And yourself? Well, uh, I am back to the Russell's Reserve, ten uh, year aged uh, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. There you go. It is quite lovely. It has a nice little. I love. Uh, so I didn't realize this, and I keep forgetting to mention it on here. Well, actually, because the last couple episodes I have not been imbibing with the bourbon. However. Uh, the, uh, that little burn that you get when you drink, uh, when you drink whiskey, yep. they call that a Kentucky hug. <laughs> I love that. 
this one has a very nice. it has a very gentle, nice Kentucky hug. I love it. That's cool. um, a friend of mine is actually coming back from Bardstown, Kentucky. Or he's back, and he he brought a, a care package for me. So I will have some new uh, some new labels to boast about. There you on go. Future podcasts. Bootlegging. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> ish. He he did pay for it. So as, as, <laughs> how much? As, well, as much as one can bootleg in the 21st century. So. Yeah, I don't really know if that's even a thing anymore. I, I just like the term, and it just seemed right to say it. So there you go. I, and I applaud you for that. Well, I, thank you. So uh, let's get into let's get into things here, because if not, we're going to be here until Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> So we've uh, we've been going through uh, Battlestar Galactica because we are obsessed with this show, obviously, and uh, I think I think it's safe to say for both of us, this is probably one of the best television shows for both of us. This would definitely make the top five, bar none. I, yeah, bar, uh, and bar for none. me, it's no, no argument. I I really feel like this is this is the top. This is number one, and maybe Westworld when they finally get around to the next season or. Or when we final, when I can finally look at it from beginning to end, then I'll feel comfortable saying, "Okay, this might unseat Battlestar." I, I just, uh, it's still top in my book. Yeah, I yeah, Westworld. I, I don't see. I, I mean, I see Westworld being its own thing and 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 being very very good in its own way. But Battlestar, I I just don't think they're they're the same series. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 hard to to compare the two of them because they're just so vastly different. Well, yeah, but I think there's there's a lot of um, a lot of shared. There's some there's some themes in common. There's a lot of philosophical questions that are posed. I think both of them pose far more questions than they than they actually answer. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's kind of by design. And I appreciate that, and I could see where that would actually piss off some people. So yeah, no, I get it I, if it's not your jam, jam, you know. Yeah, I, I think BSG is more of a, a direct line sort of story. Like you, you kind of, yeah, you know, the, the the survival aspect in getting to Earth is kind of the constant through it. Whereas with Westworld, you don't know exactly where this is going, and and season two is a great example because if you watch season two of Westworld. They did a fantastic job of having you feel as disorienting as the story was, you know, in terms of piecing together everything that was going on leading up to the very end of it. And I, I will agree with that. However, I would um, and we don't have to, to debate this because otherwise, again, we'll be here until Tuesday because <laughs> another podcast us, topic. <laughs> the two of us chuckleheads could talk about this crap. All day and all night long, provided none, one of us doesn't fall asleep. That's right. Um, but I, th- I feel that. Part of that comes from the fact that we are looking back at Battlestar Galactica. We we now we had a beginning and we have an endpoint now, yeah. and we've we've gone through that cycle at least in in our case a couple times now of watching all those episodes. We're we're far enough removed from because what was it? It's uh, two thousand nine was the last episode. Uh, yeah, I think so. So about ten about ten years. Yeah, I mean, it's been long enough now that we for, we can kind of forget the the feeling of watching these episodes for the first time. Right. And I feel like, I, I, looking back at it, I remember a lot of moments where I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What, what, huh? Damn! Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I wasn't it, saying it wasn't a, like, it didn't have its surprises. It's just, and yeah, I'm saying this looking back. It's just, it, it has kind of a, a, a constant in, in the, 
the travels of the of the fleet you know what i mean mm-hmm. like there's a fleet moving to here you know here there and everywhere but ultimately trying to get to where they could potentially live again yes there were a lot of surprises along the way westworld is without giving anything away too much in season three is really departing from what it was in season one you know what i mean oh totally and yeah and, and it's yeah and it's, i can see that you know and, and it's not as direct a line as to these 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 robots are not on a journey. They're on a journey, but not as a direct journey, I guess is what I was trying to get at. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not entirely clear. What is their motivation now? Like what are they going after? Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting when it is done, when it finally is done. I mean, because we have no idea the third season's in production and uh, it's like a year and a half in between all of these seasons, because of course it's, it's like they're producing 10 or 12 feature length movies. I mean, yeah. it is, it's, it's an ambitious, ambitious project. But I'll be curious to look back at that with the benefit of hindsight to then be able to trace the threads through and say, oh, it was more, maybe it was more straightforward than we thought as we're wandering through it. Or to come back and go, yeah, it was just as messed up yeah. as, as it was watching it. It's, it's just as confusing now. Right, right. I'll be, I'll be very curious for that. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. this is, uh, Battlestar is definitely... <laughs> tops for both of us because again we're 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 so diverging it's it's pathetic so we were, we've been going through uh, all of the different seasons talking about our favorite episodes and uh buckle up because this is probably going to be another long one uh as a matter of fact i'd be willing to bet money on it and uh so we started out with uh talking about one season then we had to split it in half seasons then we even had to cut down on the number of episodes that we were talking about within the half seasons so far, we really have not improved our time. We are pretty steady, <laughs> no matter what we try to do. Yes, yes. So we'll see how this goes. But so this, this season, we are, we are again changing the rules. So we decided, uh, or you decided, sir, you actually had this idea, and I love this idea because it was going to happen anyways, really. Uh, this just kind of took the, the heat off, if you will. Mm-hmm. We each picked two episodes, two episodes each to talk about as our kind of favorites, and then Crossroads Part 1 and Part 2, which is the final uh, final episodes of the third season, we just agreed we're going to talk about these because they're, they're so important just in the overall arc of the entire show. We were going to talk about them anyways. It was just going to be, well, who's going to take them? <laughs> yeah, who, who'll take Part 1, who'll take Part 2, but we're going to talk about them. Yeah, so we just figured, you know what, just set those aside and don't sweat over that. Just pick two of the others, which was... I felt was incredibly difficult. I struggled with it. Yeah. I could have picked easily four plus those two. Yeah. We were talking before we, we started recording this that, you know, next to season one, this this half season is a very difficult one to just whittle down to just a couple, you know, favorites because they all they all had, you know, um, some, some great value uh, and some great storytelling going on in each of them. Um, you know, a couple that we didn't talk about or won't talk about today um, like the you know the sun right was it the sun rises or something like that the, the, the sun one, the, the sun also rises the sun also rises um, there's the one with uh, Tyrrell and the Union you know with the fuel ships and yeah, stuff yeah dirty mean, hands dirty oh, hands such a good episode and then I would have I would have totally taken a day in the life I love that episode yeah I was torn on that one I I was gonna do that one and then but but you'll find out from the ones that I did that that the two that I picked out just had a different you know, va- like like just value wise, I I just felt had a bit more resonance in terms of what they were trying to get across. The, the the episodes this half season, really, 
take different themes of what we go through in our culture, you know, even today and put them through the lens of how would these things exist within a fleet of 12 tribes of people, you know, yeah. and, and, and really just, you start to see how things are breaking down, how you see little bits of this and that kind of, you know, creeping in, even though they're trying to maintain civility, there's just laser focus. I mean, dirty hands is a very focused episode on, on that aspect, you know, the, the class system and the work. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about some of the other ones where, where we have those sorts of themes as well. So, yeah, I mean, and this is something that they've done and done really well throughout the course of the show. I feel like th- this season, it's for whatever reason, they managed to distill some of this down. And I'm not saying this just because I'm drinking whiskey tonight. My safe word will be whiskey. They managed to distill down some of these uh, some of these episodes to their essence. Like they felt very potent. Yeah. You know, and and very clear. In, in what they were trying to talk about and what they're trying to say, which I, I thought was awesome. But it also makes it really hard to pick, you know, just a couple. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a case study in, in really telling very focused stories and, and, and slow burning certain things until the right moment when you flip the switch, um, especially mm. when we talk crossroads, because there's, there's some humdingers in, in those two, which just, you know, it, it just, just that slow payoff to, to those things happening just, you know, is what makes them so great. And I appreciate you working the word humdinger in here just to prove that we are getting old. Ah, well, you know, gotta represent. But she's an old lady. I mean, look at her. She's old. You can't just take her stuff. She's too old. You gonna talk about putting on your galoshes next? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. That's what I do. That's what I do. All right, right. so let's let's dive in and let's get into the episodes here. So the first episode we're going to talk about was one of the ones I chose. Uh, This is episode twelve in the overall season three sequence. Uh, It is the second episode of this half of the third season, and it is called Rapture. And we, of course, usually go with the the Wikipedia summaries, which uh, are always kind of interesting because. As I read them, I realize that they're leaving out like one of the most important plot points. Who wrote this? <laughs> the the Michael Scott recommended Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. So here is what Wikipedia has to say about this episode. The human Cylon standoff over the mysterious Eye of Jupiter has reached a breaking point. On the algae planet, Deanna, Baltar, Brother Cavill, and a team of centurions prepare to assault the Temple of Five, where the Eye supposedly lies hidden. Meanwhile, Athena takes action to retrieve her daughter, Hera. So this one to me, there, there is so much going on in this episode and so many things that I, I really, I just want to kind of talk about. But I, I mean, and I don't know, I have really not had a chance to organize my thoughts for this one. It, there's just so much going on. This whole algae planet thing kind of came out of nowhere, but it was a reasonable sort of thing to... You know, oh, well, they need food. Hey, we found a planet with algae, and we're going to turn that into food. Yeah, th- whatever. This, this was the closest they came to, like, a, a Duex Machina sort of thing for, for how they're going to continue on and subsist. You know, the yeah. the, the algae planet with, with the protein-based sludge, I mean, like this is basically what they're eating from this point on to the end of the series. So To close your eyes, it almost feels like you're eating runny eggs. You know, a bowl of snot. Yeah, um, and, it, and it also gives them a good – it gives them an excuse to – to go to a certain planet in a certain place so that you can find the Temple of Five, which was, you know, kind of the big deal where there's the Eye of Jupiter and all this. 
Um, and but keep in mind, this comes after uh, the the first episode of this half of the season, which again there was no there was no uh, mid season break for this season. They all just kind of went right in a row. So they're breaking up doesn't is only for our purposes in this okay. case. Yeah. But this came right after the Eye of Jupiter, which is where the Colonials are there, and then the Cylons jump in, and you have Adama essentially. I mean, uncorking the nuclear missiles that are on Galactica, and you have that moment at the end of I of, uh, of Episode Eleven, I of Jupiter, where you where they have Galactica turning almost upside down. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the with the missiles coming out of the silo like a submarine. Be careful what you shoot at. Huh? Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Yep. And you get that moment at the end of 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 that episode where. Ty is kind of incredulous that this whole thing is happening, but yeah. it's very soldier-like, and you get it, kind of the whole episode ends with you know uh, the the release of nuclear weapons has now been authorized, and it just hangs there mm-hmm. like holy crap. And and Adama is threatening threatening to nuke the planet, to nuke the Temple of Five because the Cylons want it, just to because they're they're going to send raiders down to to look at it, and so we start the episode with. Um, all the Cylons want want to, uh, to bring back the Raiders because they they're like we can't risk it, so they they bring back most of them except one, and we find out that Deanna is totally just like going a rogue on the rest of the Cylons. Yeah, she this, she's a woman on a mission. Yeah, and this is really I mean it's not the beginning of the end. It's kind of the beginning of the of the end end. You know, like she's already been playing with fire. She's already been, you know, getting real familiar with uh, with Gaius and, and Caprica. Um, real familiar, if you know what I mean, uh, in a biblical-type sense. I will probably begin with a very classic first line. Something like, Say, sweet thing, can I buy you a fish sandwich? But she's also been doing some other stuff where she has, she goes off by herself and apparently just has centurions shoot her gotta go, gotta go. and then wipe their memories so that no one will know so that she can go to that in-between place between life and death and resurrection and that's where she's seeing the opera house yeah and that's where she's seeing the final five but she cannot remember what they look like once she's resurrected yeah. so you have all this stuff going on so she 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 has her own mission and then of course uh then uh in the previous episode uh starbuck has been shot down uh in a raptor and we have Lee sending uh, D to go rescue his mistress because <laughs> Lee and 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 Kara have been have been kind of you know playing around uh, here and there. And then I will commence to whisper sweet words in her ear, something like, "Man, I like to take a bite out of your butt." <laughs> and I'm like, I I wrote in my notes, I'm like, dirt bag, like, oh my gosh, like how. How horrible of a human being can you put, can you be? Like, yeah. Oh, hey, honey. By the way, can you stop and 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 go catch uh, go pick up the lady that I've been messing around with? Thanks. Appreciate it. So that goes real well. And then of course you have uh, Hilo killing Athena, yeah, his wife, so that she can re- resurrect and go rescue Hera. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. If there, and, if and there that, was ever a strategic way to use resurrection, <laughs> two of them employed it in oh. this one. Good lord. And I mean, just and 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 they play that so well, so well as as like yeah. a, the only way you could do it. But then the moment that comes after that, to me, was like 
was one of those things where you have, again, you have Hilo being the good guy, you know, Hilo the good man, and he's being decent to Rosalind, and Rosalind's reading him the riot act and all that, and he's being decent to her, he's being, he, he's, he's not yelling or anything like that, but he still looks like he's just ready to rip her head off. Yeah. And, yeah. and the problem is here is Rosalind is totally at fault. She's the one who decided to not tell them about Hera. She's the one who decided to do this whole thing of hiding Hera from them and, and faking Hera's death and all this. It's, it's all her fault. Yeah. This oh, is absolutely. all her fault. And yet, she still manages to make it about Hilo and Adama. Yeah, that, that was one of those times I felt like Rosalind was just, they, they were just going a direction of making her a little bit annoying because... Oh, well, they've, they've gone out of their way to like, I mean, they don't, this is where to me, this is like the, the, the difference between the original Battlestar Galactica and this one, and, and even like some other shows like Star Trek or whatever, up until really the Abrams Star Trek, when you had, um, uh, the, uh, when you had Robocop being the, the, uh, the rogue ca- admiral, mm-hmm. Peter Weller, right. and, he, and, and he was the bad guy. That are alive, you are coming with me. You have these people in charge who are just, they're benevolent and they're nice. And maybe they're a little doofy, but they're never, like, mean. Double dumbass on you! Right. Or any of these things. And here, she's being, she is being an ass. Like, I mean, she has done something, and it blew up, and she's going to bl- put it back on them. Right, right. And it really just shows the humanity of, of, the, of her as a leader. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, back at the beginning when we started doing these, you know, you mentioned back in the beginning of season one how every character has secrets. Mm-hmm. And this was one that she introduced and ends up playing out in a very, um, I mean, not in a, in a completely destructive way, but it, it, it takes its toll both on the Cylons and on the fleet. And no, I mean, how, I mean, that is a pretty destructive decision when you get right down to it. Absolutely. And, and for her to behave the way that she did with Hilo, I mean, I, like, I, I just loved how that, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I don't know the actor's name, but, um, who plays Tom Hilo. Up. With Tamo. Tamo. Um, the funny part is, in a previous episode that we taped, you had to tell me who he was. Yeah, I happen to have it like right at the ready, and right now I don't. So <laughs> consider it even at this point. Um, that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna tag him on Twitter and say that you didn't know who he was. Okay, that's that's fine. And maybe he'll come back and say, "Hey, you moron, what are you doing?" Well, um, no, he's such a nice guy. He'll just be like, you know, that's that's all right. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. Um, but he, you know, just just withholding the rage. You know, and 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 just oh, yeah. you know, the the way he holds it back is just so palatable. And you know, it's it's this episode, and then you know, we, we referred to the Dirty Hands episode that we're not going to talk about. Um, is another one where I feel Rosalind is just, you know, just completely unreasonable. You know, in 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 terms of of her perspective on things. You know, she just you know doesn't get it. And when she's faced with contradiction and faced with challenge to her position, she just wants to just sweep it to the side and move on with her agenda. Yeah, and so you start to see this different part of her, which we haven't really seen before, mm-hmm. um, and especially in this case because she really seems to have this, you know, the, uh, even though Athena has been loyal, and you know, she and Hilo have have really not done anything to to cause distrust to you oh, know, uh, Athena has has saved their ass at least three or four times yeah. now, like not just a couple of them, like the entire fleet, right. Right. And, and, you know, now we see that, you know, they, they just they just can't get past the Cylon piece of it. And so, yeah, so she just has this very backwards perspective on it. Rosalind does. And but but, you know, again, 
when Hilo carries it out, I mean, it's done in a very uh, emotionally accurate way. I mean, whether or not he knows she's getting resurrected, I mean, it's still a very traumatic thing to be the one to kill your wife, you know, basically, yeah. even though she's on this mission to, to retrieve their child. Oh, my gosh. That was, I mean, that's gut-wrenching. Yeah, is, oh, I absolutely. Mean, and so then, I mean, and then I, one, of my, one of my favorite, well, not favorite moments, because it's, it, it's, again, it's kind of horrible, but it comes around to this weird, because it's weird kind of catharsis. Um, so then you have the moment when, you know, you have Boomer and Athena and Hera on the base ship, and so Boomer is now threatening to snap Hera's neck, and Caprica is right there, and then <laughs> Caprica takes out Boomer by snapping her neck. Right. Now, you keep in mind, Caprica is the one who snapped the baby's neck back in the miniseries. Yes. So I really felt like we kind of went like full circle when it comes to neck snapping in that one scene. I mean, that one scene. I really felt like we just we accomplished something, and I'm like, okay, good, no more neck snapping. We can we've <laughs> we've done all we possibly can with this. Well, and and for, for me in 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 the miniseries, that that was one of the more disturbing scenes. Like just you know seeing the fragilities. oh, it totally was. I mean, they, you know, they, they don't show it in gory detail, but you you hear it. Oh, but you, you hear it. Oh. You you hear it, and and. And what's funny is, yeah, not funny. What's interesting is Caprica's look on her face. It's it's like she's experiencing this new feeling for the first time. Like she she doesn't really yeah. understand what she's done. Whereas now, where it, it's this human Cylon hybrid baby, that she she now understands the value where there's value now in this child. I think she now understands better. And yeah. and yeah, you you have that whole that scene playing out where, you know, Athena knows right away what Hera needs. The, the other boomer is just kind of clueless, but, you know, just wanting to just, you know, end it all um, mm-hmm. and be, be done with it. And then, yeah, Caprica kind of saves the day and off they go. Yeah. And, and, it, and I think it's also up for debate and I, I can't remember, I can't remember who, who said if it was in a commentary or if it was in an interview afterwards, but in the miniseries, when Caprica does snap the baby's neck, like the idea that like, does she do it just to see what it's like or does she do it knowing what's coming and thinking like, well, this is better than suffering through a nuclear holocaust? I I can't remember how exactly that conversation went. It's a, it's a little fragment that's somewhere in the back of my head. I always, especially watching it a second time, I took it as she wasn't really clear on what she was doing. I could see that. You know what I mean? Like, like, like I get what you're saying where she's trying to spare the child what's to come, but I, the, the look on her face when it happens just it, it's it's of this bewilderment of wow that's that's fragile you know like like mm-hmm. almost like not realizing the reality of it mainly pro- i'm guessing because you know for the cylons they don't they, they don't really experience babies you know so they don't really know yeah and you know so that's why i kind of took it that way is it just it seemed like this this bewilderment of what did i just do and then just walking away from it and yeah just that mother screaming was just oh as a parent that's a hard scene to watch <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Oh. It's it's horrible. It's a horrible scene to watch. It really is. But of course, then of course, getting back to Rapture, one of my other kind of moments, the moment that really kind of was great, I thought, was the moment. So so D manages to rescue Starbuck, and Starbuck's hands are all messed up, and so she can't do anything, or it starts getting a little you know weird about the painkiller or whatever she's on of the pain and, and D just hauls off and smacks her. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you totally had that one coming. 
I may have deserved that. And in that moment, I can almost see Starbuck like, oh, she knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Which I, it was just kind of a, a humorous little detour for me. But, um, but the moment when Deanna sees the final five. Yeah. And that moment when she says, forgive me, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, and, you, and now knowing what we know, because mm-hmm. we're not going to try and sp- we're not going to spoil things before we even spoil them later. But such a nice little bit of writing. Yeah. You know, to kind of give you a little foreshadowing that, that, sh- that she's seen this at least one of them before. Yes. And, and has done something to them that she now regrets. Mm hmm. Which given, I mean, given what the Cylons have done, I mean, well, <laughs> it could be anyone. Right. Because right. the Cylons have done some pretty horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, and then just the idea of tying all this back into to Starbuck again. You know, like she's been painting this image that turns out that it's that's the eye of Jupiter. And then it becomes the the supernova after it explodes and, and all and, and all these things. It's just it's it, just such a dense, dense, dense episode. And that's before we even get to. When um when Cavill boxes all the threes and you get that that moment and the pullout of 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 the scene that was just taking place at the side of one of those resurrection hot tub type things filled with glue with a with goo and you realize this was playing out with hundreds of other yeah identical Cavils and threes yep. yep which is just so weird I mean it just reminds me I had a chance this past week to go check out uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on the big screen because I don't I don't remember seeing that when I was a kid I think I was just young enough that I missed it by like a year or two to see it in the theater or even being old enough that my parents would let me go see that in the theater but uh that moment when they pull out at the end and there's all the crates oh yeah that's what it reminded me of yeah yeah you know and seeing and seeing that that was one of the first things I thought it was like <gasps> I remember that from that episode of, of Battlestar Galactica, and then I was like, I really need therapy if everything is going to remind me of Battlestar Galactica. I wasn't even in the show. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I probably should seek, I should seek help. Uh, but that was that was great, and, yeah. and such a weirdly kind of tender moment. Like, I mean, Cavill wasn't exactly taking joy in it, right? right. You know, and was and was being almost as as kind as he could be in that moment. You know. But still being Cavill and, and kind of being a dick as well. So there, it was it really fulfilled the entire character spectrum, if you ask me. Yeah, and and you know, and, and this is the first time we've seen you know the Cylons taking action against another like this. You know, mm-hmm. where where up to this point they have functioned as, as a unit. You know, clearly when Deanna starts doing this, she's moving outside of that that unit structure that they have. But it seems that he's not really interested in what she's discovered. You know, yeah. and and there's a reason for that. You know, I mean, that's that's we we don't know right now, but but we know coming mm-hmm. that there's a reason why he ends up boxing her the way that he does. Would you even say that there might be a plan? Maybe. Uh huh. Uh huh. But anyway, that was that was so much going on in that episode, and that doesn't even get into like this is really kind of uh, a furtherance and really the beginning of like the Baltar cult. You know, this idea. <laughs> yes. I mean, the seeds have been there, but this is really kind of, the, it's almost like the kickoff party. Everything else was a, was a little bit of an off-Broadway, you know, out-of-town opening. This is when he really starts getting going, like, you know, that Deanna isn't the chosen one, that he is. You know, and that's, it, it, again, it's just like, oh, just what just right. what we need. 
put a little more fuel on the fu- on the blazing bonfire that is Gaius Baltar's ego. I was gonna say just what a narcissist needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a just a little little more a little more fuel a little more fuel. But a, a fantastic episode all around, and the fact that they bring him back in like a body bag to the Galactica. <laughs> After he's been like knocked out by Chief, yeah. Which again, and I didn't even mention Chief and Chief using like his like all of that you know kind of uh, you know that knowledge he had from being growing up as a kid. Who his father was a priest, his mother was an oracle, and he grew up in this whole thing. And and there was there was that one hilarious moment where he used to talk where he talked about he went in uh, he used to go into like his father's the holiest of holies or whatever like whatever that means in in their religious context mm. and he danced around naked with a porno mag or something and i'm like <laughs> i really didn't need that picture of aaron douglas in my head thank you but it was right. hilarious to hear him the, the way he delivered it it was fantastic yeah yeah but yeah that this episode to me was just it was great and it was just a great way to they managed to tie up so many little loose ends and then untie a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is when the final five becomes more of a serious thing um, yeah. for, for, for this part of the season. Fantastic episode. Fantastic episode. I'm so glad that I chose it. Yeah. Let's move on to one of your episodes here, uh, sure. which conveniently enough is the next episode in sequence. Uh, this is episode 13 out of the season. And is called Taking a Break from All Your Worries. Yo, you want to read it? No, no. I'll, 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 I'm just giving myself a moment to hear the Cheers theme song in my head. I just, I needed oh. to hear that. <laughs> Gosh, I didn't even think of that. I just got a, I just got a little bit of that piano. In the, I just, I feel, I feel better now. There we go. There um, we go. So uh, this is what Wikipedia has to say for it. Baltar is interrogated aboard Galactica while a makeshift bar called Joe's in the hangar deck becomes popular, and the relationship problems of Apollo, Duala, Starbuck, and Anders unfold. So tell me about this one, sir. Uh, this was a contrast in in two men basically spiraling. Um, both Baltar and uh, Lee Apollo Adama. Um, in their respective ways. Um, Baltar a little less because, or, or a little less out of his control. Um, but Lee clearly, um, due to the struggles he's having with, with um, you know, not being able to have the relationship he wants with Starbuck um, and then juggling his marriage with Duala. Uh, and then, of course, you throw alcohol into it and, of course, it makes it all better, right? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What um, could possibly be going? I mean, you're already like essentially working with the you know with your your mistress yeah. or former mistress, and 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 also working with your your spouse, and you're all like, it, it's like you're all in the same apartment building as well. Yeah. What could possibly happen? That's right. That's right. And not not to jump too far ahead, but but this this uh, definitely is the episode where um, you know back in season two we had. Hashtag fat Apollo. Um, this one is hashtag drunk Apollo. And oh yeah. And there there's a particular scene in mind uh, where he's he's stumbling home from from a night at Joe's and uh, he apparently uh, is holding his wedding ring and drops it and he's like struggling to find. I mean he just mm. looks like a mess. Like how any pilot can take him seriously as the cag oh. moving forward is beyond me. But yeah. but but that if you listen to our last podcast, I kind of did this goofy thing where I was like, "Where's my ring?" You know, the, he's, yes. he's crying out. Um, but but yeah, we we see Apollo at, at his at at his lowest um, in in this episode, at his worst, um, which is saying something. 
Which is, yeah. Because Apollo is, has done shown his butt many times in this, in this series. <laughs> yes, indeed. But this one, this one was especially bad. He, 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 was, he was quite bad in this one. So, um, but, but jumping back, um, you know, Baltar um, attempts to, and, and you'll have to help me with this one. He attempts to kill himself, but I can't remember if it was because his, the head six was encouraging him to, or, um, but, but he, he basically, t- he goes to hang himself and he mm-hmm. has this vision that he's being resuscitated in a Cylon resurrection pool. Yes. And then they start pushing him under. Right. So he, he's at first he's ecstatic because he's like, yes, I finally know I'm a Cylon. It's like, wait, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way I wrote that down is I wrote down creepy lullaby opening, mm-hmm. like just the music. The music was 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 good at the beginning of that because it just it it was so creepy yeah so creepy well gave me the heebie-jeebies and 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 having and being someone who has grown facial hair for most of his life and had a long beard it it was particularly bothersome to see him coming up out of that that sludge with his beard all smeared in it it was just it was weird it was just like come on man you know it's like trim that thing the thing is like all of the stuff that they use to make that like that sort of like sludgy sort of stuff yeah. like there's uh, it's like industrial food thickener and all that like when they do that it's all about the look like they don't care how how the actor's gonna feel in it like <laughs> i know whatever I know, I know does it look good on camera okay right. perfect so that you figure that's been in there and then it's been sitting under the studio lights yep can you even imagine the smell coming out of the resurrection hot tub I'm, at that point? That's nasty. I'm, I'm thinking Mr. Callis needed a couple showers to get that out of his system. Oh, a couple. <laughs> he was he was it was like it was like in Pulp Fiction when the wolf is there hosing him down in the backyard. Like, make sure you get the brain out of his out of his hair. <laughs> right, right. You guys look like. What do they look like, Jimmy? Dorks. <laughs> they look like a couple of dorks. Exactly. Make sure you get all that food thickener out of out of James's beard. Yeah. Nope. You missed the spot. You missed the spot. Oh, jeez. Oh. Anyways. But but I, I think we'll break this one down first from Baltar and then from and then from Apollo. So so Baltar. Um, now, interestingly enough, G- Gaeta is heading to Baltar's uh, cell. By the way, I've got to correct you on this because I it was killing me the last time. It's it's just Gaeta. Is it Gaeta? Yeah. Gaeta. 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 Shafly? <laughs> Sorry. All right, never Ladies mind. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the return of Shafly. <laughs> Which I have been corrected. It is Shafley. So I... I, <laughs> I Did you learn, I, I've butchered you learn English name. as a fourth language or something? A bidet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> My goodness, uh, sir. Good Lord, man. Um, but Gaeta is on his way to a cell, and... Um, we don't know why, but but because this is happening, where he's he's hung himself and then and then they free him from it. Um, uh, Gaeta, you know, basically makes his way away from there, and then um, basically most of the episode is about Rosalind and Dama talking about what to do with him. Like like mm-hmm. Rosalind is on a mission. She wants to get a confession out of him. She knows yeah. in her gut that he was responsible for the twelve colonies being wiped out. And, and she's right. You know, she's absolutely right. But she has no evidence. Mm-hmm. So she tries an interrogation. Which is a bit of a sticky widget. You, you kind of need that evidence stuff. Yes. And, and you know, it, it gets a little comical because she starts, like, throwing pictures at him. And then she goes to the Rosalind go-to, which is she's going to put him out in airlock. So oh. she, 
Order 66. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> she's, she's, she's got that one thing. She loves to throw someone out of an airlock. Oh, she does. She does. And Madam so, airlock. Well, and, and not only does she order it, but she marches him down the halls that have all the memorial pictures so he can yes. see all oh. of the, the lives that he has impacted. Oh, yeah, and this is, if I remember right, like, she is screaming, too. She's, like, going, she's kind of lost her. She, she's, she's playing, unhinged. like, the crazy bad cop at that point pretty well. Oh, yeah, she she's completely unhinged at this point because she's so desperate to get him to confess. Yeah. And so she, so he ends up calling her bluff. She, she does not put him out in airlock, um, mm-hmm. much to her chagrin, I'm sure. Um, and so they, so she's talking with, with Adama and he has, which is such a great shift because they get him in, they got him in the airlock at one point. Yes. And then it's just like cut and then it's her and Adama and, and, and it's like, well, that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, you know that if it had been on like, you know, if it had been on like HBO or something like that, you would have just had Adama there that's like bleep yeah <laughs> like, well, right, i'm not right. i'm not gonna do it because we're a family friendly podcast but there definitely would have been a four-letter word just coming out of that cold cut or if this you know? was spongebob it would have been 10 minutes later <laughs> yeah <laughs> well played sir thank well you played. very much you know went to the family friendly so <laughs> who can't laugh at that come on oh my god certainly not me oh goodness so yeah, so so they discuss other alternatives, and Adama has this um, this military kind of psycho. What would you call it? Like a psychedelic sort of. Um, it's like a a psychotropic, or psychotropic, a, or a hallucinogenic drug. Yes, that they used in the military to torture um, individuals. They were it, trying to get interrogate. Well, interrogate, not torture, interrogate, although it doesn't kind of end up being. They torture. interrogate them through setting up a scenario where they think they're in trouble so kind yeah. of torture oh my gosh and that was freaky it, it that was, was it was very freaky i mean just when you thought like edward james Olmos's voice couldn't be any more kind of like intimidating just all of a sudden you have that spotlight and the way that they the way that they the effect that they had on his voice there was fantastic oh yeah oh it was great well and and then of course you know not that it was intended to be comedic, but you know, I love how Adama gives everyone instructions: don't make loud noises. And then you have the one, like yeah. staffer in there, like hit a bang, 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 bang. It's like for crying out loud, you know? Can I get ten minutes one, of silence? You get Eddie's in there. You had one job. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. That's my uh, Edward James almost. There we go. There we go. And so. Uh, you know, again, they, without getting into specifics, they, they press really hard to get a confession out of him, especially on the topic of his involvement with the massacre on the 12 colonies. And in true Baltar form, you think he's going to break. Mm-hmm. And then he finds a way to redirect or distract or move into some other zone that they're not anticipating. And and so they, they don't get it from him. But he does, in the process of all of his talking, basically reveal the final five. And this idea that there are these final five Cylons that the current Cylons are, are, are looking for. And so now, they're, so now the fleet is aware of it, um, which before they were not. So basically, once they're through that interrogation um, and they still haven't received a confession, you know, Rosalind's kind of at her wit's end. But then she just kind of resigns herself to the idea that Baltar um, be given a trial. And, yeah. and Adama agrees, and and so that that's kind of how the Baltar situation is left. And you know, well, they, there's one there's one last bit you're missing. 
The whole thing they sent because they send in Gata too. Oh yes, I'm sorry. You're right. I had notes on that too. Yeah. So so Gata comes and sees him. They're going to try to spy on him. Yep. Um, and see if through Gata's relationship with him, if they can get him to talk. And he sees the camera. Like Gata, I think looks up at it. Right? Doesn't he give it away? I think. Oh yeah, Gata totally gives it away. Like a like a true goofball. Um, like yeah. A complete yutz. Gata's like, I better look up at the camera to make sure it's still there. And then I forget what triggers him exactly, but I know he goes and stabs him in the neck with the well, pen. <laughs> well, yeah, because then Baltar pulls him real close and does this whole, like, yeah. and you don't hear what he says. And then Gator just, like, stabs him in the freaking neck with a pen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. It's pretty nasty. That really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. Yeah, so that was that was one heck of a way to kind of... Yeah. Oh, and, and, and one thing I should mention about the, the hallucinogenic interrogation is it does take Coddle to stop it um, because Baltar's vitals start dropping. So, mm-hmm. so they, they push him to like physic, his physical brink with this yeah. um, where he is just completely ready to just kind of spiral um, and, and die. And, and Coddle puts an end to it. So, yeah, so between that and then, and then Gaida, you know, basically, you know, stabbing him in the throat or in the neck. Apparently not 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 nearly as deadly as he thought. Um, well, you know he he apparently he missed all the major arteries, yes. which yes, good and bad, I guess. I suppose good. some would say good news, bad news. Some would say you know divine hand, or I don't know. That's, oh. that's what Baltar would say, of course. Well played. Well, you know, and so yeah, so they settle on the trial, which will be interesting when we talk about my next episode because the, Zarek has a very interesting take on on what that trial is going to look like. So, mm. so, th- so that's kind of the Baltar piece, and so his spiral again is more out of his control. It's more him being pressured and really put through the ringer to try to draw information out of him, and and he just has this ability of self preservation to continue to protect the very deep, dark secrets that he holds inside um, so as to not reveal them and to not implicate himself um, in the wrongdoing that he's, you know, beating himself up for, you know, when he's not yeah. being a complete narcissist. <laughs> so um, so then we Which switch. It really up. is a full-time job. Well, you know, someone's got to make the, you know, make the money. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Um, so then we switch over to, uh, to Apollo. And, oh, yeah. And, and, there, and there's a great back and forth with him and Tyrrell in the beginning where they're just like, Two guys at a bar just kind of, you know, kvetching about yep. <laughs> married life. And, you know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, they're 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 both in the doghouse in one way in, in some way, shape or form. Well, and there's a, there's that one exchange that they have when I forget who starts it, but it's like, why can't we just get back to normal? And the other one's like, what's normal? Yeah. And it's it's such a great little meta statement on the entire situation of the fleet, but also their situation. Right. Exactly. And. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I, I noted that we see Baltar being tortured and interrogated. And in some ways, Apollo is kind of going through his own torture from, from a perspective of love. You know, that, that he's, he, he's really taking what's going on with Starbuck very hard. He's torn about what to do with Duala because she's been loyal to him, even though he's been a complete yutz to her. Oh, t- so, I mean, he, I, I described it as... Uh, because I kind of like there's those there's those moments at the beginning of the episode with with D and Lee and then Sam and Kara and with D and Lee I was like he's a douche and she's hurt yeah yeah <laughs> I couldn't think of another way to put it like right. he is a douche but what's interesting is both Duala and Anders in this episode they they both in their own way tell their respective partners basically they they set them free go go yeah go enjoy yourself 
let's, yes. let's go figure this out. And, you know, if, if we're meant to be, you're going to come back. And if not, then not. And, um, and so, I mean, there's really nothing more to say about the Apollo piece other than, you know, I already kind of touched on it, that, that really ground zero or, or, or kind of bottom of the barrel here is, is really his drunken, you know, uh, stumble back to his room when he loses his wedding ring. And I think he ends up losing it completely. Um, I think so, he can't yeah. find it. And, and, you know, so, so hashtag drunk Apollo. And, and of course, <laughs> hashtag the, lost ring. Well, hashtag lost ring and uh, where's my ring? You know, Has- hashtag intergalactic Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> One ring to rule them all. Yes. Um, but but th- that that scene was so well shot and so well done because it just showed how broken he was, you know, and, oh, yeah. and just how messed up he was. And. And, and that was one thing I thought about when, when I saw that is, you know, the next episode, I think he's in front of the pilots, you know, kind of laying into him a little bit. And I'm like, how does anyone take him seriously at this point? <laughs> Here he is this drunken mess, just kind of, you know, falling over himself and, and crying and whining like a little baby. It was just it was just incredible. But but his journey ends up taking him to a place where he he turns away from from Starbucks from a romantic perspective and and. You know, he, he has a poignant speech, you know, with Duala where he, uh, you know, voices his acknowledgement and, and his appreciation of her sticking by him through all of this. I'm a mess without you. I miss you so damn much. <laughs> I miss being with you. I miss being near you. I miss your laugh. <laughs> and and just that, you know, he's he's kind of renewing his his um, feelings for her and. and you know, committing to their marriage. <laughs> I, miss, I miss your scent. I miss your musk. No, I, I don't remember if Starbuck and Anders had a similar conversation or not. But I don't think they. I don't think they had a conversation. It was just they were back together. Yeah, yeah. They they don't really go into any detail on that side of things. But at least from Apollo's side, he's kind of made his intentions known, and so now that's kind of the direction. He's kind of reorienting himself and, and, you know, kind of getting back to what he should be as a husband to her. I, see, the thing is with that, I don't even know so much about that because even the one thing that bugged me, which it, I mean, it bugged me just because I'm like, you're being a douche, but it fits the character. So I guess I could just kind of have to let it go. But even even when he's talking about or talking to Duala and, and trying to do this whole like, uh, you know, coming back to her and... and I miss being with you. All this. It's still so much about him. Yeah, that's fair. In that. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it, it's so much about him, not necessarily her. Yeah. It's like her in context of him. Yeah. Which I, it, it bugs me, which I guess it did its job because I'm like, dude, you're still being a douche. Yeah. You are still, you know. Um, Get it together. But yeah, and I I think Duwala is is being she's being selfless. Um, I think Anders is being even more so because Anders is almost like, man, he he's just kind of literally like just setting her free. Yeah, basically. And and Duwala is 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 doing it in an angry sort of way, whereas Anders is almost kind of resigned to like, well, this is kind of I knew who you were, and I knew there was always a chance that this would happen. Yeah sort of sort of thing which is like man i mean it's it's equally as heart-wrenching just kind of in a different way and and you brought up an interesting point that you know again when you consider the context of what these characters are living in right now that they are 
having to see each other every day, that they're having to work together every day, that they're having mm-hmm. to just be around each other every day. It's, it's, it makes it even harder, you know, and, and for, for Lee, this escapism into alcohol and, and to try to drown his sorrows in a way, um, you know, again, taking a break from all your worries, right? I mean, just, just like the, the, the title of the episode says that, you know, you, you can't, it, it's just that much harder to do when you're in this kind of confined area that they're in, you know, I mean, there it's, it's not like you can, in terms of the fleet, I mean, sure, people could get reassigned to other ships and stuff like that, but you know, you're, you're you have a limited number of places you can go, you know, this, yeah. it's not like you live on earth where you can, if you want to move from, you know, where you are to somewhere else, just to take a break and get away and kind of reset yourself. You can't do that here. You know, you're, you're, no. you're stuck in what you're doing. And so it just probably amplifies it all the more. And then, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly, uh, it, it just, it's an interesting facet of it to consider. And like we said at the beginning of this, it's a lot of these episodes kind of take into account these sorts of things that the environment and that they're functioning in is just very constricted. Yeah. And it, it even comes up in dirty hands where even if you said, well, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm resigning and I'm going to go, I'm going to go work on the refinery ship or whatever. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Whether or not you would actually be able to. Right, right. Because there's a limited amount of trained personnel. So, you know, they deal with the idea that, no, you can't go do something else. We need you here. Yeah. Sort of thing. And that was, you know, kind of central to that episode. So you, even if one of them did want us, except for Apollo. Apollo can do whatever the hell he wants, apparently. Um, <laughs> As we'll find out later. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it's good but, to be the king. <laughs> I guess. Um, or the king's it's son. good to be it's good to be the douche um oh, and um oh, gosh. that's that's horrible i'm gonna i might edit that out or i might just leave it in just to show what a moron i nah, am don't worry about either it. way it's a life lesson but it, it you know it's a question of whether you could actually move on right or if you're right. just you're stuck in this you yep. know yep. uh anders is kind of the one who actually has a choice because he's not really he's not part of the fleet at this point he's or a part of the you know the colonial fleet per se not the ragtag fleet but just where do you go what do you do what's normal i mean it, and it's it's a great question because it seems like normal is always shifting right it is in constant motion for these people absolutely just like they are absolutely good episode it's a good one. and let's not and forget uh, where's my ring Gosh, you just love doing that way too much. Dude, I'm sorry. I I don't mean to laugh at that scene, but there was some comedy in there. I'm just like, oh my God, Apollo, have some respect for yourself. You know, it's like, come on. That is... That is your new like Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin with a bedpan moment. You you just rewind that over and over and over again, don't you? It's actually the ringtone on your phone, isn't it? Uh, Where's my ring? (laughs) Where's my ring? (laughs) All right, moving along before we drag ourselves too far down. Uh, your next episode is uh, actually the next episode in sequence. This is episode 14 of season three, uh, season three and it is called The Woman King, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, is such a great title um, because it has dual meaning, and I love those those titles. I have a, a warm spot for them in my heart. Yes. And, and Wikipedia thus uh, speaks, Hilo investigates a doctor tending to civilian refugees that may be harming Sagittarian patients. So tell me about this one, sir. This one's one of yours. This uh, this was a tough one because, uh, as we talked about, there's dirty hands. Um, both of those episodes kind of 
or emblematic, I think, of what they were doing this season, where they were taking a topic and and really putting it through the lens of the conditions of the fleet at this point and and what they were going through, mm-hmm. um, and and you know definitely with with some um, you know racist overtones, you know, with with this doctor yeah. and what what he was doing, and so it, it it it's a Hilo episode. I mean, it's it's really kind of a uh, it's kind of an, a, a neat stereotypical Hilo episode where he just gets the crap kicked out of him for most of the episode. Like, yep. you know, Hilo, shut up and just move on and you know, stop being such a pain. Well, there's there's certain characters that just kind of have this lot in life, and yeah. Hilo is he's going to be the good guy who just gets kicked around for no good reason, just the same as as Callie is. You know, hey, let's try and kill Callie again. Yeah, we've only, yeah. we've tried to do it many times now, and uh, you know, like in a uh, in a day in the life, which right. was one of the close runner ups for for my episodes. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's put her in an airlock. Right. Let's see if we let's try and kill her again. Right. You know, we already gave her a firing squad and had Chief Pummeler, and uh, we put her on a planet with with a whole bunch of Cylons where someone's gonna die. Let's let's try and kill Callie again. Like, dang, like who is she? Kenny from South Park? What? <laughs> Who did she piss off in the writing room? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, they're always. Did she kept on. Did she keep on trying to renegotiate her contract? So they're like, hey, you know what? We can kill you off in a heartbeat, lady. Just, just watch us. Just watch us. Just warn you. <laughs> just warning you. We can take you out of this uh, this series like that. You're done. Yeah, and and and, and that was another one that I, you know I said I. You'll was, never work in this galaxy again. Never. Um, no, it, it was a struggle with all these episodes because you know, Day in the Life is another focused you know episode on Adama and on. Um, Tyrrell and Callie in that airlock, which of course malfunctions because of the wear and tear on the ship, you know? And so it's, mm-hmm. it's again, you know, just kind of this, this theme of the ship is taking a beating, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and things are starting to fail and they don't have as many ships as they once had. And so in this episode, they've created this, this village almost on, is it on one of the hangar decks, I think. Yeah, it's Dogsville. It's called Dogsville. And Hilo is the mayor of Dogsville. Hilo is the I'll hail the mayor. Era. Oh, <laughs> good lord! You know what? He should have been. He, if you if you made me the mayor of Dogsville, you know what would happen? I'd be the mayor from Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. This is the mayor talking. All right, all right, doctor. Come on, what, what? Always do the right thing. I forget what the actor's name was, but he was like, you know, go down the street and buy me a a quart of of Miller High Life beer. <laughs> That would have been that would have been me as the mayor of Dogsville. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'm giving up, folks. I'm flying the white flag. I just want you all to know. Let's see, Mayor Hilo or Mayor uh, Quimby from The Simpsons era. Uh, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it a <laughs> narrow vote for Mayor Hilo. <laughs> he is significantly less interesting, but much less dangerous. Yes, yes, yes. So the episode starts where um, where Hilo is down there, um, down in, do- in this Dogsville, managing you know th- what's going on and trying to uh, address the needs of those who are there. And it becomes very apparent in the beginning of the episode that there's an epidemic starting. There, there's a lot of people getting sick and showing similar symptoms. And so, um, and then there's this uh, this woman. Her name is Portia King, who has a son, Willie King, um, who he becomes sick. Now they're they're Sagittarians, and in the lore of uh Battlestar Galactica the Sagittarians refuse um medicinal assistance so they they do not typically take medicines they use uh, more uh earthy organic sort of ways of dealing with their 
their uh, illnesses and so forth. And so, so it's it's more because uh, that was one thing I didn't really think about until you just mentioned it. So it's more like kind of modern medicine, yeah, as opposed to like almost like homeopathic or 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 natural, all natural kind of medicine. Yeah, it, it doesn't right? seem like they're against trying to curb the effects of the illness because they use these like roots they show. They try yeah. to make the solution out of roots that they give to to different um, different citizens and so forth. But um, but but there's certainly some adversity, you know, just resistance to having any sort of modern medicine, you know, be introduced. Um, they don't trust it and they don't believe in it. And so. Yeah. Um, so her son becomes very ill. Um, she ends up and for you have to forgive me, I'm, I'm not remembering the, the exact sequence of all this, but I believe she ends up resigning herself to letting him have the inoculation before the illness gets too um you know, get, gets too far. And so, oh, yeah, but we don't find that out till afterwards. Oh, oh okay. So it, it does happen yeah. afterwards. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Which is, which is kind of the kick in the kick in the pants. Right. Right. So her son ends up dying. She accuses the doctor. Um, I don't have his name up here. Dr. Roberts. Dr. Roberts. Who is played by, I believe the same actor who was the Senator in X-Men two. Mm-hmm. You would be correct. I, I love the fact that you know that that obscure kind of reference. Well, I'm sure he's been in he's been in so many other things, and he's like, and that's what you remember me for. Awesome. Yeah. Well, he he tends to play the annoying, the character. racist doctor and the senator who t- it's turned into a ball a ball of jelly, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's like the stuff that's he turns he, in X in X Men Two. He basically turns into a, a a clear plastic bag filled with the stuff that was in the resurrection hot tub. Exactly. What, <laughs> exactly. And and so uh, you know so so basically when her son's di- when her son dies she starts accusing the doctor of of sabotaging him and Hilo doesn't quite follow what's going on and you know he he assumes the doctor is excuse me doing the best you know that he's he can do for the for the just number of patients that's you know getting sick and then we kind of transition over to Joe's bar and there's a scene where Tyrrell is with some of the other deckhands and they start ripping on the Sagittarians because they apparently didn't really uh, partake in uh, the resistance for New Caprica. They, they really didn't involve themselves. And so he was ripping on them as well. So you start to see there's just this kind of this edge that exists with people and, and the Sagittarians. And yeah. and it, it becomes, and of course, Duala is, is a Sagittarian. She's not a, you know, kind of an extremist to that sense, but she um, but she still is one. And so, you know, she takes offense to it. Uh, Apollo has words with, you know, with Tyrrell about it. But, you know, she ends up playing a role later on where she gets sick. Mm-hmm. So throughout the episode, you, it, it's really kind of a mystery leading up to, you know, is, is the doctor, you know, is, is the doctor really doing something to harm the Sagittarians or not? And so a few others die. And we, and then there's this great scene where Hilo goes into, <laughs> he goes into sick bay. Somehow there's no one in sick bay. And he just sits there and he's like pouring over medical records and then Cottle walks in and, you know, gives him a talking to about what the hell are you doing in here? You know, he's just giving it to well, him. Yeah, I, was, I thought that was Cottle's like office or something because it, it was it was a small kind of room. Oh, OK. It? Well, yeah, I thought it was like off of sick bay, you know, like it was his okay. office or something like that. Yeah. Like like Cottle goes out to get cigarettes or right, something, right. which, which <laughs> is totally legit because that's the only time Cottle would ever leave sick bay is to get some more cigarettes. <laughs> some more smokes. Oh, my gosh, which, you know, the irony of a doctor doing that is just, you know, (laughs) 
his character is a walking contradiction. It's it's just so funny. But, I told you I didn't want filters. Uh, filters are for wimps. <laughs> uh, what you got cancer? Flick. <sighs> breathe this in; it'll help. <laughs> you know, I don't really smoke for the for the smoke. It's the flavor. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and and, so and what, what'd you get cancer from? Smoking? Ah, <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> Well, and, good thing I'm a doctor. And, and prior to this, is you know, Hilo I think starts to come across some evidence showing that that this Doctor Roberts is potentially doing something to adversely affect the Sagittarians. That um, that something is not right, and so that's what leads him into doing this investigation. He ends up finding out that this doctor had a ninety percent mortality rate for Sagittarians on New Caprica, which whoopsie. If if you're doing the numbers, um, not good, not good at all. No, not at all. I mean. So, Although George Carlin did once say, "Somewhere out there is the world's worst doctor." <laughs> when we statistically, and we have found statistically, <laughs> statistically speaking, it is true. Like there has to be, there's a best, there has to be a worst, even worse than that. Somewhere out there, someone has an appointment with him tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so basically, the episode leads up to um, this this point where Duala starts to show effects of this of this illness. And she goes to get a treatment. Um, again, this Dr. Roberts has um, the uh, the the medicines that are are required to to fight this off to fight this off in the early stages. And she goes to get some, and she starts feeling worse. And Hilo, um, you know, goes down to Dogsville, finds her. Um, and they, 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 they kind of do this great back and forth of, you know, Ty with, with kind of a, a security detail going to Dogsville as well. And you're expecting him to, you know, kind of lay into Hilo oh, again. Oh, oh, oh. Um, of course, I, I kind of skipped over that part that there's this whole back and forth with Adama where, where he, Hilo uh, is, is basically his warnings are ignored by Cottle and Adama. They don't believe him. And then Ty rags on him as well um, and his reputation in the fleet. And Hilo just kind of hauls off and just you know, socks him in the face. Oh, yeah, and Ty just smiles at him. Yeah. You remember that? Yep. It's like all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's right. Ty's kind of a psycho badass underneath that veneer of just being a, a, a curmudgeon. Right, right. And so... <laughs> and, and, like underneath that, like you, you're pretty sure he has a prison shank on him somewhere. <laughs> I'll take pleasure in gutting you, boy. Look, he, uh, he, he, he was the key leader of the resistance, so you know he's, he's willing to do anything at this point. What's wrong with these people, huh, Mason? Don't you think there's a lot of uh, a lot of anger flowing around this island? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, no, no rules for this man. But but that all kind of leads to 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 the buildup of the end, where you know Ty brings this detail in. They actually end up detaining the doctor. Um, Cottle ends up doing an autopsy on Portia King's son and finds out that the doctor gave him a lethal dose of this this poison that was going to kill him, and that he's been doing this to other Sagittarians. And so Hilo is vindicated and the the very end was really cool because it was you know the scene of adama apologizing to hilo and i kind of felt like it was an apology for everything in the past as well <laughs> it's like you know yeah you're a good egg and uh we acknowledge it and and hilo you know he he kind of gives the 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 uh proper salute you know to to his admiral and and walks out of there with a smile on his face knowing that you know his reputation is is not as bad as as he was led to believe. Um, you know, th- th- there's a lot I'm skipping over in terms of the dialogue between him and Athena, and just the struggle he's yeah. going through about who he is on the ship, how he's viewed on the ship. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, he feels very strongly about helping this woman, you know, helping Portia King sort out what happened to her son um, and, and helping the other Sagittarians. And, and it, 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 they, they did this great job of building frustration during the episode of Adama and Ty and Cottle, who are like the authority heads who are just not listening to him. And, yeah. and, and that frustration was was palatable. You know, I mean, you're just watching it like, oh, you idiots, until the very end when it becomes very clear to Cottle and, and to others what, what's going on. So it's just a very focused episode. It, it's very limited to just this story. Um, there There is one other quick thing I'll throw in there, unless you wanted to say a few things about the Hilo stuff. There's one thing with Zarek I want to talk through, and then we'll... Well, there's uh, there's that moment, I think, uh, during, the, during like the Adama pol- apology scene at the end. Where I thought it was so great about because it, it doesn't, um, and again I'm I'm kind of blanking on this right now because it wasn't one of my episodes, so I didn't go back and do all my homework on this one. But where I think Hilo kind of tries to say, you know, after Adam apologized, like you don't have to apologize, sir. Yeah. Kind of obviously, like, hey, being the admiral and the only admiral yeah. around, right, <laughs> means never having to say you're sorry, essentially. Right. Um, and and Adama says all the same, you still have it. Yeah, that's a great line. And I was just like, man, that is so meaning meaningful coming from Adama because yeah. that is like this is a guy who isn't going to admit that he's wrong all the time, or he's not going to go that whole nine yards, even if he's wrong, to necessarily like really do like a big mea culpa sort of thing. But he does with Hilo, right? And right. And, and it really like I think for you, like you're saying, it really does kind of. It's like here's this is for a lot of different stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. this is for a lot of things, Hilo, you know, I, I've, I really haven't done you right. Right. Sort of thing. Cause he, yeah, and he, I thought that was great. Yeah. He's been on the, on, on the, uh, on the thick end of doubt with, with the whole, you know, with the whole leadership, you know, staff of that ship time and time and time again. And, yeah. and so, yeah. So, so to have that has got to be vindicating. The, the, the one thing I just want to say about Zarek was, there's a great scene kind of, you know, just kind of nested in there a little bit where Zarek talks to Rosalind about this trial. And oh, yeah. Zarek is scared quite a bit by the prospect of doing this trial, that, that he yeah. is very concerned about how it is going to reverberate through the fleet. He's concerned about the effect of it. And he, he called it like, I think he called it like a, like a storm of sorts. Like, you know, there's going to be pandemonium when this happens. Yeah. And to a point where after he leaves, Rosalind looks visibly shaken. Like she's like, you know, for him to say that, it, it takes a lot for Zarek to say something like that, you know. And, yeah. and, and, you know, am I barking up the wrong tree by doing this? So it, it was just kind of an interesting little nugget in there for, for you know, for Baltar. I mean, this, there really wasn't a lot of Baltar in this episode, but that mm-hmm. aspect of his trial and, and the fact that it was going to be, you know, just a very dangerous thing to get into. Um, was just you know great foreshadowing of, of what's to come yeah yeah I agree all right so next episode up is episode 17 in the season order uh, it's called Maelstrom and Wikipedia describes it thusly Starbucks past comes back to haunt her when Adama has doubts about her fitness for duty which I really feel is kind of understating this uh, <laughs> just a bit yeah anyways um <laughs> So again, this this was a it was really tough for me to pick this second episode because, like I said, there was there was two or three others that I could have easily have gone with. Mm-hmm. However, uh, Starbucks centric episode. All right, fine, I'm in. Um, so I went with this one, 
And uh, again, we we start getting into the whole Kara Thrace and her special destiny. Yes, which she describes as it sounds like a bad cover band. Which I immediately I got a hearty chuckle out of this <laughs> as someone who's uh, who's been out on the music scene before. And, I'm, and then immediately I'm like, damn it! How come I didn't think of using that at some point? Right, right. I I could have I could have gotten that sweet sweet BSG cover band crowd coming to my shows. You could have. And I thought this was just a great episode because it really, again, it, it really started breaking down the character of Starbuck. And really, you know, even Lee says at one point, you know, to Adama, like, kind of being the cocky pilot is all she, it's all that's holding her together. Yeah. Like, as I think as much as much love as this guy has for, for her, and he knows how messed up she is. She, I mean, right. he knows. He's like, you are just a big bag of, like, anxiety and... And 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 trauma and all this is just barely held together by like a twist tie that's only been turned like once, mm-hmm. and it's just going to explode at some point. Which I think is, in a weird sort of way, man. There's so much codependency going on here, but it also kind of shows like how much he really cares about her. That he would stay in this kind of close proximity, and that this would drag on this long, right. knowing full well how screwed up she is. Yes. Yeah. So in a way, it's it's kind of, it's kind of a aww sort of moment, but an awe that should really then result in some serious therapy. Yes. So, the idea of like Starbuck burning out and chasing, um, chasing these ghost raiders and stuff. The scene with the Oracle, I had, I had actually forgotten about that mm-hmm. before I rewatched this. I, that's just, again because you can't remember every detail of every episode. But I had really, I would have thought that would have stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. But that but at, when it gets about midway through and all of a sudden she's like speaking Leoben's words and then all of a sudden it's Leoben's voice and her yeah. and the oracle and I'm just like oh that's a lot creepier than you would think it would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really gets creepy. Yeah. But man and then of course like th- then you just start getting into the really the points where you're it's tough to say that Starbuck is going downhill because at this point you're like, it's already a train wreck. How's it going to get worse? Like the train wreck is going to fall into a flaming volcano. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but when she's talking to Lee about, you know, where do you want to go when you go like meaning their picture on that Memorial wall? Yeah. It's like, Oh man, just that resignation of like, this is probably how it's going to be. Yeah. And then she even gets to the point of not being able to even get into the cockpit, which then leads into that weird scene where this idea of like he like Lee is almost kind of forcing her back in the cockpit. Yeah. And I'm like, man, if this doesn't result in some survivor's guilt, I don't know what is because, dude, you are you're kind of on the hook for this now. But man, uh, and then again, the whole thing, like that last sequence mm-hmm. where where Lee finally gets her back into the cockpit, and then she goes after another raider, almost like you know like uh. Uh, my wife had a had a dog uh, before we were married, and and she would she would say you she had to have her on a leash because if she saw a squirrel, yeah, she's gone. Yeah, like that dog would chase a squirrel at a at the drop of a hat, any hat at all, and would go after it. And the, and then the funny thing is, we now have a dog couldn't care less. Like the squirrel could jump up and run up and and jump on her back and do a jig, and then run off, and the dog's just gonna be like. Huh, that was weird. And go mosey off in the direction. Right. Couldn't care less about squirrels. Right, right. Um, 
So that that's always amusing to me. But <laughs> she takes off after this thing, and all that nervousness and all that other stuff just completely disappears, and she goes completely on instinct. And this whole thing at the end, where it's like this this thing with Leoben, and you're cutting back and forth, mm-hmm. is just so weird because it, it, it you know, and then and that's not even getting into the whole mom thing, which oh my goodness, yeah, because we've we've already talked about how you know about how, we know that Starbucks fingers got slammed in a door at some point and broken all at the same point mm-hmm. and they show that a couple times like they cut it like one one frame before you actually see the fingers close in the door of this little girl that is just like I, it, it, it's just spine chilling yeah. it's horrible it's horrible hard to watch and and it's like but you don't ever see it but you i mean you're it's one of those deals where your brain fills it in, mm-hmm. and it's it's brilliant and terrible all at the same time to, oh, yeah. for them to have known how that is going to work. Right, right. Um, but man, and uh, so this whole thing of like Leoben in this dream doing like this whole like, hey, this is your life, and and hey, let's watch as you talk to your mom, and that whole scene with her mom about walking out on her, mm-hmm. and then and then the 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 thing about. Leoben almost giving her that gift, yeah, of 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 that moment of of being there with her mom mm-hmm. as her mom is dying, yeah, and then giving the further gift of like, okay, now you're going to get to see what's between life and death, sort of thing, right? And oh my gosh, and that uh, that whole moment where where it's like all this confusion, then all of a sudden, I'm not afraid anymore, right? Right? There's that acceptance. Yeah. yeah, and like, oh, that that whole thing was so emotional. Like, I kind of I remember it being shocking. Yeah, when I watched it like the first time, and even like, um, even when I rewatched it uh, most recently, I, I remember it kind of being shocking and kind of like a punch. But it was it hit me very emotionally this time. Yeah, yeah, you know, and especially then when 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 Lee is is call, when Apollo is calling back to Galactica, and and is saying she went in. Mm-hmm. And the Dom is like, we're, good. we're gonna send out the rescue viper, you know, the, the raptors and all this. And he's like, and he, he can't even say it, like that her her ship's destroyed. Like he just watched this whole thing blow up, and it's like he can't quite get it out. And then right. one of the reasons I had to choose this episode was that final scene with the Dama. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where he's he takes the the little the little figurine of Aurora. That Starbuck had given him, and he fit, and he finishes that ship that he's been working on since like, see, like the mini series. Yeah, and he gets it, and he's looking at it, and then he just wrecks it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that to me is like it sums up so much of who he is. Yeah, and and the, uh, oh man, I, I like that one scene. That's what I kept coming back to. I'm like, I gotta pick it for that. I got to. And you know, you you go back to other episodes where you know, especially like season one where they thought they lost Starbuck. You know when she ran that mission um, to well she she was running after a viper uh, a uh, not a viper a raider um, and they crash land on the planet and they're about to leave or or they're debating whether they should leave or wait for her that sort of yeah thing. you know there, there's almost this expectation by Adama that she's always going to make it you know yeah. and and there's this expectation that you know she is not going to die she she is too good to fall into something like this and and. You know, the, the, the way that sequence played out was perfect because it wasn't 
her fighting anything. It was, it was like we just said, there was acceptance. It was a, a complete, you know, giving oneself over to that moment and, and, and just, you know, having this faith to follow where it was going to take her. I mean, this, this is where BSG starts going in a very kind of spiritual direction. Um, I mean, a lot of this episode doesn't work unless it's really kind of, I mean, really it's, it's starting to, to, it's, it's starting to embrace the spiritual aspect of this journey they're making that, that she's having these visions, not by accident. You know, we're never really told how she's having these visions. Um, Mm -hmm. they seem to be somewhat related to the proximity of this cloud that they're near, which looks like the Mandela that they, you know, keep bringing up from her past. And you know, and, and then what, what I liked was it really kind of filled in a lot of the gaps of what makes Starbuck who she is. When you see, you know, the shortness of, of, of her mother and, 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 you know, not accepting the good that she does and not accepting the achievements and, and just, you know, continuing to pound on her, you start to see why she is so messed up. Yeah. And you can, you kind of see like in a different life, given different circumstances, Kara would have been an artist. Or, or maybe a musician, or, or or something else. Right, right. But you start bringing into this idea of of her mother knowing that you know, saying that she's special, and whether or not whether or not she's saying that because she knows something about you know whether that's mm-hmm. kind of a key to who Starbuck is in a larger sense, or whether she's saying it because she's a decorated soldier of the first Cylon War and is almost like this Sarah Connor sort of like. You're going to be the one who you know saves people down the line, or right. you know you need to be this or that and the other because that's who I was. I I mean I don't know. There's so many different ways you could go with that. Right. But we've seen all these different things with with Starbuck where she quotes poetry and she she paints mm-hmm. and you know has this kind of bohemian side, which is kind of at odds with what you would think of a a, a person who's in the military would have, and so. You have all these different factors, and her father being um, being a, a pianist, which we find out, you know, when they go back to uh, her apartment on Caprica with Hilo. All these things are like in a different world, in a different life. Carol would have been someone completely different. Yes, yeah. You know, she has she has this other side to her, but she she keeps it locked away. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why so much of this explosiveness comes out is that she, she, she's really keeping a lot of this other stuff down Mm -hmm. this other aspect of her and has really just been you know who her who who she's been kind of who her mother was kind of like shaping her to be to a certain degree and then i don't know maybe going going that direction because she out of the guilt that she wasn't there for her mother at the end i don't know right i mean it's all it's all like amateur hours psychology and psychiatry (laughs) with me right now I don't know. I just I just know that this this character in particular and this episode uh, also is just fascinating for me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like like you said, it's it's a very focused episode on Starbuck. It's um, it it fills in the gaps that you know of, of how she is who she is. It shows what she could have been, and and it's her processing all of this and coming to some acceptance of what what she was intended to be. Um, and for the moment that we see, you know, at the very end, um, it's, it's for her to, you know, to, to succumb to this and, you know, from Lee's perspective, be destroyed, but, but from her perspective, something else was going on, you know, it, it, Mm -hmm. it, it becomes a very bright light for her and, and something about where she's going next is not exactly what, 
you know, Adama and the other, or sorry, Apollo and the other see. And, and, you know, and Adama takes it extremely hard. Yeah. I mean, this, this was his daughter and, and it was a daughter that was not supposed to go this way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he probably knows better. He knows she could have pulled out of this, that she could have, you know, um, not succumbed to this. And so I think when, when you see that happen, it makes it all the harder to accept because, because you, you know, they're better than that and, and you don't know why. And so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I think Adama's reaction at the end is, is spot on. I think without that, I think if it just ends with her passing the way that she does, it's just kind of like, okay. Uh, I mean, you, you could have ended it in the CIC when, when he just like drops, you know, the, the, the phone after Lee's just like, she's gone. Um, yeah. and he just drops it. I mean, you could have ended the episode there, yeah. but they kept to- it. I mean, totally. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of different shows would have ended the episode there. But to to then take it to that very quiet moment afterwards, and to because it gives you a moment to like absorb what just happened, right. and to sit with it for a while, and then you're watching him, and and it, with all that there, and just when he just starts to tear the ship apart, you're like, it, it just it it makes sense, yes, you know, and it just informs the character that much more, and it just really it it even it enhances that moment, like you now you really understand how he's feeling. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like you re- like visually now, like you, you, know? you think it's a moment of, of, you know, kind of levity for him. Um, and, and a way for him to kind of process what's happened yeah, to her like, by, by honoring like some her sort of release. This. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. a release. Right. But then it just go, well, I guess it does become a release, but in just a very different direction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great episode. I really did like that episode. I mean, yeah, we were like broken records. Like every episode, like, great episode. I knew you, know? you were going to pick that one, so that's why I didn't pick it. I fought it. I fought it, man. I was, because uh, I wanted, I also wanted to talk about um, A Day in the Life, and I also even like the next episode, which we kind of, we need to give a little bit of information on that one anyways, uh, as, a, as a little bit of a cheat, uh, just because otherwise Crossroads doesn't make a, t- it doesn't fully make sense. So if, if we can indulge people uh, to get a, what would this be? Instead of six shows that we're talking about total, we're talking about 6.25. <laughs> I don't know. I'm totally just trying to justify this stuff. All now. right. I'll allow it. But So I also like The Sun Also Rises. I thought it was a great episode. I thought it was uh, fantastic. And, and just the idea, number one, because uh, quite honestly, Romo Lampkin, one of my favorite bsg characters ever yes oh yeah just so fully formed and yet just you don't even you're, you're not entirely sure who he is yeah he, it's amazing. he just comes out of nowhere yeah and, and he's fantastic and 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 he just you know he seems to have this ability to mess with people uh at, at a psychological level like he's playing a long game um and you can't quite tell what it is yeah. Until you actually no. get to the end of it, you know? And even then, I'm not even entirely sure. Like, I'm, I'm seriously, like, he is one of those characters who you're like, I don't know. I really is. It's almost like a Loki-esque character. Yep. You know, where yep. you're just never sure whose side he's on and what, he's, what his goals are, you know? But just, I just, I love this episode, the episode uh, just watching him chew scenery around everybody. And I just imagine, like, 
uh, you know, people on set, like the after after they watched him the first day, they're like, oh, we better get our stuff together because otherwise this guy's going to eat our lunch. Like no one's going to even know I was in the scene if, I, <laughs> if I'm not on. Right. Because they're right. just going to be watching this guy. Right. right. Um, so basically uh, they're going to have Baltar's trial and they uh, his first lawyer gets killed uh, in an explosion. So then they bring in Romo Lampkin, who is kind of. He almost strikes me as a guy who they try to play up as like kind of an ambulance chaser, but not really. I guess actually the lawyer that he had before was a bit more. Um, so they're trying to they're trying to get all this stuff together, and and they're getting Lee to kind of head up the legal framework of it, you know, uh, defense and prosecution and all this stuff. But more kind of almost on the defense side because it seems like they have plenty of people who want to prosecute Baltar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a whole lot who want to defend him. Not a Go lot figure. of people who are fans of this man. No. Uh, so you have this whole setup of, of and it ends up basically uh, Romo is is kind of trying to obviously peel Lee away from his dad and, and does it fairly successfully mm-hmm. because at that point, uh, at the end of The Sun Also Rises, uh, Lee basically resigns uh, his commission uh, once again because he's allowed to do that. He's the CAG, the most qualified pilot they have, and yet, yeah, whatever, just go is ahead. Is it that one? Or I thought he resigns in Crossroads. No, because uh, at the end of uh, at the end of, uh, well, no, he because that's where he and, and Adama get into that big argument. Well, yes, was, and, so and Adama uh, kind of tips his ca- kind of tips his hand a little bit, and you know basically says he doesn't feel Baltar is even worthy of a trial, which he's on the tribunal yes. at that point. So that's that's not a yeah, good thing so to say. I, I got confused because there's that I, I had a note for that line where um, and it's when uh, when Adama tries to give Lee back. To being CAG because he, he he takes him off of being CAG to be security for uh, for Romo Lampkin. Right, right. And then at the end of that episode, he tries to put him back in that spot, but Lee wants to help with the defense. He wants to he wants to kind of fulfill this un, unrequited sense of that I could have been a I could have been a contender. Um, I I could have been a lawyer. My ring. sort of thing. <laughs> exactly, um, Your Honor. But uh, he, 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 he wants to follow in his grandfather's footsteps and, 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 and wants to explore that. And, you know, Adam is trying to put him back into the spot that he needs him. And eventually it comes up to, like, I'm through giving you orders. Mm-hmm. And essentially then after he's told after he's told them, oh, yeah, uh, Lee's back as CAG, he goes back to the CIC. And he's like, take Lee off the board. You know, he's got more important things to do or something like that. Um, so I got confused with that. No, no, that's okay. But, uh, yeah. But this is also the episode where uh, he finally puts uh, Kara's photo up on the memorial wall next to Cats, right, right where she asked right. him. So all of that kind of leads us into Crossroads Part One and Part Two, which is, uh, you know, like the trial of of Gaius Baltar. So now we have it very set up. We have uh, the prosecution is all set. We have the defense with Roma Lampkin and uh, Lee Adama assisting. Then we get into uh, Crossroads Part One, which. Oh my freaking good lord! Again, just more <laughs> density. It's like you're sitting at the at the Lorraine, middle of a black you hole. You are my density. <laughs> what the heck is that from? Back to the Future, man. Remember when George McFly goes up to her for the first time? Oh my gosh! Yes. And she's like, what? And he's like, my destiny. <laughs> he's a peeping tom. That is a deep pull, sir. Way to go. <laughs> Hey, you said density. I had to run with it. There we go. Off you go. You know the the thing is, like, it, it takes a, it takes a bit to pull a movie quote over on me. Really, <laughs> I, 
I, I pride myself on that. I have no other useful skills. It's, it's as if we're keeping each other in check with our pop culture knowledge. Yeah, that's kind of frightening. Yeah, a little bit. We are each other's accountability partners. We're screwed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're all going to die. But I thought, I thought Crossroads won. I mean, again, you, you start out with the Opera House, which to me is always a cool moment. I think it's really interesting how, you know, going back to these scenes, how different uh, Rosalind looks. Yeah. And, and also the fact that Hera, obviously played by a different, you know, different child than the one that is now Hera in the current timeline, I think those two things just always add a little bit of the kind of it adds a bit of unreality to it. Yeah. You know, having Rosalind look so differently, having Hera look so differently mm-hmm. and, and just that overall setting and everything. It, I always I always get a little like, ooh, hey, this is oh, this is different. Yeah. And then of course we also have, you know, Baltar kind of more seeds of his religious awakening sort of thing with some you know, someone ask him to heal their child. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I mean, maybe no more Mr. Nice Guys, but he might lay some hands. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know. Well, and and I think that's an interesting transformation from him for him because he becomes and, and we didn't touch on this because I think this comes through in other episodes. But he, you know, he puts out writings about the problems with the system of mm-hmm. government and and the the way there's like this class system. Um, the, Wasn't it like a, my my struggles, my mistakes by Gaius yes. Baltar or something like that? And and one of the reasons I'm going to kick myself for not doing or, or not having us do dirty uh, it was dirty hands, right? Yes, is um, because there is that that seminal moment in that episode where Baltar switches into his original tongue. Yes, and and he talks like an Aralon. And oh, James Callis, dude! That that Come scene, on. I'm I'm now kicking myself for not going with that one. Uh, but but at the same time, I mean, it was just brilliant the way he plays that. Where you find out he's he's really a farm boy who faked his who faked it till he made it. Um, yeah, in Caprica by adopting their tongue, their 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 dialect, their um, mannerisms, and. And has really just you find out has really just been someone who has who has worked his way up to where he is or was at one point within the twelve colonies, mm-hmm. and so he does these writings. People start to listen because they see the inequities that he talks about. And now in this episode, we're seeing him start to take on almost like this spiritual leader quality, which is just like kind of coming from nowhere, you know? Yeah. And he's fighting it in this episode. Like, he's trying to pass this woman off. Like, listen, I, this isn't my thing. I don't, I don't do healings. I just do manifestos, <laughs> you know. Like, I don't do windows. I only, I only, clean, the, I only clean floors. That's right. That's right. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's, it's a kind of herky-jerky beginning to a cult. But, you know, he eventually gets it on the road and, you know, it seems to do all right with it. So, but I think that, I think, um, you know, of course you have, you know, the prosecutor's opening argument, which... Um, Man, it's it. Yeah, when she says, "How do we measure loss?" <laughs> I I just wrote down. I'm like, that is one of the best points of the show. That is like that is yeah. the point of the show. Yeah. And then you find out that there was five thousand one hundred and ninety seven dead on Baltar's watch. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like an, that's an eighth of the of the population. Was, was it dead or dead and left behind? Well, dead. I mean, well, if they're left behind, they're just as good as dead because n- nothing happened on New Caprica. Sure, sure, I mean, but but it, it's but it it makes it all the more horrifying, right? I mean, well, yeah. Imagine being left behind. Um, well, the thing is, and I don't know if they, provisions and so forth. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's a pretty harrowing. Yeah, and it's and and I mean, I think that's just it's crazy. Now, the funny thing is, 
so I, I started rewatching the uh, the director the the Ron Moore commentary for this, and uh, they actually digitally erased. They had the the number for the twelve colonies, like whatever it was, like 60, 65 billion people, and then brought it down with you know the number after the uh, the Cylon uh, in attack. And they so they had that other number up there, but it, they were just like, well, we can't get into all that. We have to cut down. We have to cut down. Yeah. Like they actually, they were so tight on these episodes. They actually, uh, if you notice when you when you watched it, did you notice there wasn't a like, um, there wasn't a main titles. There was no credits at the beginning or anything. Oh no, I didn't. They got a special dis- dispensation just to save that time, just because they could they could they could use those like forty five seconds or minute or whatever that that beginning. Uh, section is they they actually got they got special permission f- to do that oh interesting that's how tight they were on these episodes Jeez. but yeah and then and then of course you know such a brilliant argument from the prosecutor and then Romo Lampkin gets up <laughs> oh I mean and basically basically and it almost goes like full-on Al Pacino in scent of a woman like mm-hmm. you're out of order I'm out of order this court's out of order I mean <laughs> I was just waiting for a hoo-ah, yeah, you know, know. It, just know. a, but oh my gosh, Lampkin just and and the thing is, he's right, absolutely. I mean, he he you know he makes the statement that you know Rosalind is just seeking vengeance for what you know her loss in the election and on what happened in New Caprica, and there is some truth to that. Mm-hmm. You know, she she's going after him not for really solid legal reasons, just she doesn't like him, and and really, I mean. Where she is justified and where she is disgusted with him is she really believes correctly that he was the linchpin for the fall of the 12 colonies and she wants to see him held accountable for that. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing where you have and I think they do this a lot in this in this overall in the show where where characters can be right and wrong all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she is right. He was instrumental. She does not have the proof. You know, she she does. uh you know, she does have like kind of legit legit beefs against him, but at the same time, well, he was in an untenable position. I mean, there's, there's so many so many of those situations where like, well, you're right, but and there's always this thing, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. and I, they do that so well because again, like Lamkin is saying, like we want some righteous retribution. We've already seen that. We already saw it with the circle, like throwing people out airlocks and. And just like, you know, they want revenge. Right. And in some ways, even with Zarek, you know, authorizing that. I mean, he kind of wanted that. And it was because, again, like he was part of the people who were going to be rounded up and thrown in front of firing squad. Right. He I mean, as as altruistic as he as his purposes might have been, he wanted revenge because someone was going to take him out. Yeah. He was willing to be a martyr before. But wait a minute. That was my call. Right. 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 (laughs) Someone else signs the order. I'm a little ticked about it. <laughs> Which, I mean, I can't say that I blame him on that one. Um, but, you know, oh, man. And then just uh, just that whole revelation that the Cylons really have been following them. They're just a little bit further behind. Right. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah. Oh. And then, of course, uh, and I thought this was funny because we just talked about uh, Ty taking the punch from Hilo. Mm-hmm. So, so. Ty punches uh, Caprica, and then Caprica just lays into Ty. Yes, yeah. Just knocks him on his ass yep. and just kind of gives that little half grin like, 
<laughs> you don't know who you're messing with. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I don't want to tick off Trisha Helfer. I don't know if she, if she could legit deck me, but I don't need to take the chance. No. I just don't. No, you don't. I just don't. I, I just don't. No. Oh, man. And then, and then of course, I mean, uh, Ty drunk on the witness stand. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. <laughs> I mean. Oh, my gosh. That, that was just. I mean, it was it was funny, but then it was sad at the same time because he, yeah. he's recounting what happens with Ellen. A, a lot of these two episodes is just this this putting out on the table everything that's really happened. You know, oh, yeah. since you know, not since New Caprica, but at New Caprica, the the things, the baggage that these characters have been carrying could have easily been subtitled "dirty laundry." Kind of, yeah, yeah, and. Um, I, I don't want to move away from from the tie on the stand thing, but but the the equally as as humorous uh, sight is uh, both Ty mucking with the radio at Joe's bar and putting his ear to the wall, like just seeing this one eyed you know crazy man who's drunk. Like I hear a song, where is it coming from? You know, I mean, it was just it was hysterical, and it was such a great way to kind of to really. I mean, it, it was kind of introducing that. And you saw Sam kind of tune into it a little bit, but you could also explain that away like, oh, he thought he heard something. But having yes. Ty be the one to really carry the weight of that and yeah. the way that they'd written that character up until now where he is a little bit crazy and he is a drunk and he is this and that and the other. And, you know, in the, in the, in the beginning of the miniseries, like he talks about when, when him and Adama are talking about after the fight with Starbuck and, you know, and and he's like, well, you did tip the table over. I did not, unless I did. <laughs> Thank you, Ty. Right there, like you're you're established. Like this is a dude when he's drinking, he he is not a detail guy. No, no, he is not. <laughs> he's not going to remember the finer points of what happened. Nope. You know, you'll be lucky if he actually remembers where his pants are the next day. Yes. That's you're 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 in good shape if that happened. So having him kind of carry the weight of of doing some of those weirder scenes was a great choice. And it was also just a very natural way of like, well, maybe Ty is just going nuts. Maybe he's right. finally gone round the bend to kind of hide what's coming sort of thing in a way like they uh, it, it, it's kind of a Westworldish way of doing it because that's, you know, to go back to our very you know, early conversation in this episode. One of the differences is, you know, like you said, Battlestar is very straightforward, very linear, whereas Westworld is always hiding their hand. Yes, yes. And I and I think that Battlestar Galactica has done that, but they don't do it nearly as much as Westworld does. Westworld is right. all hidden. This, Westworld is more of a magic show. Right. This you know? this this was a big one for, for the show. I mean, there, there's really, I mean, outside of what happens in season four with um, with Earth... Yeah, there, there really, and and what happens with Starbuck, there, there really isn't um, a lot of that sort of sleight of hand going on with the show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like th- this was kind of the payoff to their big mystery in this in this episode, or, or in these two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that I thought that was a that was a great great thing, and, and having him on the witness stand, oh, that was it was painful. Well, and, and then it really was painful. It, it was pain. Yeah, it was painful. His his recollection of what happened and. You know, talking about how he had to he had to murder his own wife. I mean, I don't know if mm. Adama was aware of that or not. I mean, you, you know. That oh, I think he totally was. Just think? the look on his face yeah. and and the fact that they had, they sat down for that talk. I mean, those two guys have been around so long. You know, you know he's he just he just spilled everything to him. Yeah. You just know it. Yeah. And and then the the real twist there is that uh, what was it Gaius who who said he's drunk, 
and and, and yeah. Lampkin, and it was like Apollo was the last one to kind of acknowledge it. Right. Even, right. even though he might have been the first one to notice, he was the last one to actually say anything about it. And then Adama comes back and blames him totally mm-hmm. for like, oh well, you were, you're the one who tipped him off that Ty was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. You could probably smell it across the room. I'm looking but, you for know. my ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's my ring? You're just not going to let that go, are not you? Not this episode, at least. It, it, okay. It'll be done after this one, and then we can move on. Okay, good. I'll allow it. But yeah, that was that was that was tough to see, and it was a, an airing of dirty laundry, and it, it goes back to when he was talking with Caprica, and and Caprica had uh, had head Baltar's assistance in in getting at at Ty. Yeah. Which is the entire reason why he flipped out and punched her in the first place. Right. And so you know that that's that tied in that that resulted in him going out and and tying one on and getting up on the witness stand uh, half in the bag. Although you have to admit, I mean, as a moment of levity after revealing all that, where he starts hearing the music again and he's just like, mm. turn that music down. I mean, just like like just yeah. one more layer on top of the old drunk XO is, well, yeah, is him just like yelling he, randomly at like music no one can hear. Yeah, at first he's like, you know, they're playing music in here now. And then at the end, he's, he's he is he just like a pre, completely freaks out. He's like, turn that off. Right, it's right. Like, Oh boy! So he he's done himself no favors as far as you know <laughs> himself as a as a firm witness. Oh yeah, and the funny thing is, back in uh, back in the sun also rises when they're in there talking, uh, when he's in there talking to to Caprica, and she says, uh, "Oh gosh, what was it? I I got to go back because it was a great moment." Oh, and, and she's like, "I should have been the one to stab him," meaning Baltar. Mm-hmm. And of course, Rosalind and Adama are on the other side of the glass listening, and and Rosalind's like, "Things are looking up." <laughs> And then just to have all that just drop, yeah. you know, with, yep. with Ty just like, well, you're done as a witness. Thanks. Yep. Thanks for playing. Yep. So then you, you go from there to, of course, Adama blaming Lee for that. And, and Lee now quits the fleet, and which is it, it was a rough scene. I mean, Absolutely I mean, Adama's, rough. Adama's drunk. Oh, yeah. He's it, well, if he isn't tri- drunk, he's like he's like angrily buzzed. Right. Right. And, and he's on the tribunal and he's basically making statements that the person he's supposed to be unbiased in judging he doesn't even deserve a trial, which yeah. is just like such, such as such an uncharacteristic slip for, for, uh, you know, Adama's character, but especially as a son of a lawyer, right, you know, right. Exactly. What a sham. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You would know, you think you ought to know better, but you don't Nope. But no, they, they throw down and, 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 and what makes it really hard is just that it's just it's all coming from from all of this guilt and this pain. You know, a, a, Apollo doesn't want to serve under someone who questions his integrity. And then Adama's line, which is just just so damning, is just like, you know, cl- basically claiming his son has no integrity. I mean, it, it's just yeah. it's such a one two punch on both sides for them. And, you know, and, and in some ways, I you know, I don't know if Apollo knowingly or unknowingly does this, but then what follows in the trial next when Rosalind's on the stand, mm. you know, Adama may have, have landed the punch when he resign when Apollo resigns his commission and, and he makes that statement about having no integrity. But man, when she's on the stand, he lands a, he lands a huge punch in his father's face when he, you know, basically leads Rosalind to reveal what's going on with her. Well, but then it's a punch to him too, because if you remember, he starts down that road, and and he he goes he he gets all the way up to the door, yep, and he doesn't step through, 
and Rosalind forces him to. Yep. Like, you know what? If you're going to do it, go all the way. Right. You know, you, right. you got me to admit that I'm on, that I'm taking Kamala again. Yep. Well, what does that mean? Go ahead and ask. Do it. I mean, that is that is tough because then even even Adama's sitting there looking at him like, "You're the one who asked." <laughs> you're, you've gone now down you've, this road. Yeah, you've gone down this road, and now you need to take the full weight of it. You can't right. just get out of this cheap. Right. And man, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's another one of those double TKO moments. Yeah. Like, well, you might have landed a punch, but now you're going to have to take one because this is going to hurt. That's that's going to that, hurt you personally. Yeah, that, that that that's true. Apollo suffers from that one as well because he. He does not intend to go to, to get to find out what he finds out. And, and well, he's not. I don't think he's ready to actually hear it. I think he understands what it means, but he isn't ready to actually hear the words come out and to have to be the one to ask. Right. I think he's trying to more discredit her than anything else. Yeah. And and yeah, by totally. and by bringing that aspect out that she's on the Kamala again is is meant to basically make her um, testimony invalid and and not reliable. Um, I, I think it was a brilliant way. I mean. You don't think about this when you saw the opera house scene at the beginning, but the fact that she's having this vision, you know, you don't think about the fact that why is she having this vision? You know, like, like, yeah. you know, we're, we're just thinking she's having a dream. We're resigned to this idea that she's beaten the cancer because of, of what Baltar did for her. And now the cancer has come back. And so yeah. she's back on it. And I, and I think the other interesting thing, not, not to go away from this, from the trial, because that's the focal point, but it's very interesting that we learn not just is she having the vision, but she and Athena and Six all are having the vision together. Yes. Which has never happened before. It has always been individually on their own having these visions. And, and you know, typically with Six and Baltar mostly uh, or with Diana when, you know, she was uh, in between life, death and, and resurrection. But that's right. I didn't even write that down in my notes. Good call. No, no. Call. Well, because it stood out to me. This. I mean, I don't know if I caught it when I first watched it, but it stood out to me that they all get together and share notes, basically, about what they mm-hmm. what they experienced and why they did what they did. And, you know, Six is basically saying that she just had this need to protect the child and, and so forth. And so it, it was just kind of an interesting, you know, sidebar, uh, you know, activity. I mean, again, this, this, these episodes have so much in them. But but you see now that with her being on the Kamala and it, it opening her back up to having these visions that she's now, you know, what, whatever's going on spiritually, whatever happened with Starbuck, whatever's leading them on, there 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 are th- greater things in play that are beyond them that that are leading yeah. them down a, a very specific road, and mm-hmm. um, and they they just can't make sense of it right now. So so yeah, it's it's going back to the trial. I mean Apollo, yeah, he tries to serve you know, serve, serve a KO punch and he ends up taking a, a hard shot um, because of it. And Rosalind just, you know, she stands by it. She's just like, you know what? You finish this. You want to go this yeah. way? Finish it. And, and you know, not caring about what it means for her politically and otherwise. And you just see the look of devastation on Apollo's face. And so, the, I mean, just these two episodes, the damage done by so many different characters to one another is just incredible. Now, see, I would actually make an, make an argument that Rosalind does know what that's going to do for her politically because it, it, she knows that there was support for her before as the dying leader with the in the in the scrolls and all of that so if if she had merely allowed her allowed him to discredit her and then hadn't really come out and admitted that she has cancer then I think it doesn't play as well I think in in even though I think she's doing it on a personal level it does work out for her politically 
to to actually get him to to ask her so that she has to admit it on the stand. It takes I th- I feel like it takes a little bit of the sting away from the discredit discreditation in the court. I mean, it certainly does it in the court case, right. but in in a political sense, it actually it does less damage yeah. when she actually just comes out and says Well, it, it, except for the fact that what she quietly says to Apollo before he goes down this road, which is don't do this. You know, because because I think she's thinking about the impact of what this is going to mean now when people find out about it, because now it puts her in question as far as everyone's going to be wondering, well, when is she going to die? I mean, that, that's really, yeah. that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. I think I, I wonder if that doesn't come down more to almost a personal sense. I mean, I'm sure it, it does take, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're correct that in a larger sense, it does have that. I wonder if it's in a more personal sense, like, listen, we don't have to do this. We both know he's guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of thing. And then also like, don't do this. Like, don't do this to us. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. I, I, I might be total BS armchair. No, I, no, I mean, what, what you're saying makes sense. I, I just don't know that it plays out in sort of in, in any kind of planned move by her. You know what I mean? Like, like, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I think you're right. I think. Oh, it's totally unplanned. I, yeah. I, I think deep down she just trusts her gut that politically this will work out. But mm-hmm. there is that hesitation about introducing this instability now in into the structure of the government because now what was once kind of solid, you know, solid foundation in terms of the leadership of, of the fleet is now in question because of, of the fact that she's now been deemed sick again. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But yeah, just just a gut-wrenching scene all around. Which then leads to the, to the uh, press conference afterwards where Tori just like goes off. On a on a reporter, and then of course we get that wonderful moment where, you know, the reporter asks, you know, how long do you have to live, Miss, uh, Madam President? And she just turns and looks at, how long do you have to live, Karen? <laughs> and just just absolutely levels her with a glare. I'm like, oh boy. I I, I have to correct you on one small point. What? Uh, it's, what, what? It's, it's not Tory. It is disheveled Tory. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes, I'm sorry. I mean, Hashtag disheveled she, Tori. She looks like she just rolled out of bed like, hey. <laughs> yeah. it's. I would actually go, I would go more hobo Tori. <laughs> like she just took in the boxcar from New Caprica. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, then, and then the fact that they go into whatever room is behind where they do the press conference and Rosalind oh, just yeah. lays into her like, what is wrong with you? She, <laughs> Yes. You know, it wouldn't help you to comb your hair once a week. And the thing is, you look at Rosalind, and it's not like she's like perfectly quaffed. I mean, nobody is in the fleet. Well, but, I mean, it's almost like saying, like, you know what? I know I haven't seen a hairdresser in a month. You look bad even by those standards. I'm I'm impressed at this stage, having been in space as long as they have, that they still have clean clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what, what is this pulling a comb through your hair? How the heck are you guys even dressed at this stage, you know, in, in yeah. such nice clothes, you know? Oh man! But yeah, and then and then of course we get a, uh, you know, uh, the the two last notes I have on this one are Hilo uh, talking about you know weather's changing, need to be ready, you know, which is a very kind of foreboding sort of thing, and then Ty like his his last like ranting, drunken ranting as he's from ear the up ship? to the ship. No, it's it, no it, the exact quote, and I wrote this down. Right, good, good. It's in the fracking ship, you know. <laughs> I, and I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of spittle coming from Michael Hogan's mouth yes. at the time. Yes. Oh, it was fantastic, fan freaking tastic. Well, and you know, one interesting note I just thought of with Hilo making that statement. Do you recall back in season two, before they landed in New Caprica, 
mm-hmm. it was Athena who made a statement that, you know, she had a feeling that something, I, I forget her exact yes. words, but it's really funny yes. that those two have that sort of role at times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of just, I realized when you said Hilo, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. The two of them are kind of the uh, right. predictors, the prophesiers of doom. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, yeah, she was like, I have a bad feeling that like something like every I forget what the exact quote is. I got a bad feeling about this. But yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. So, yeah, just just a fantastic episode top to bottom. I mean, it's it's just it's such a gut-wrenching one and you you just see these characters who have worked together in the past just start going at it you know all, mm-hmm. all over this, these past uh issues and and, uh, and unresolved things that, that that have happened that they're just now kind of getting out on the table all in this sort of uh forum of of you know trying to understand if baltar is guilty or innocent which then leads us directly into crossroads part two Go figure that part two would follow part one. And uh, it starts off with, I thought, this lovely, like, just amazing, like, little call, like a phone call between, like, Adama and Rosalind. Mm -hmm. And it's so, like, high school sweetheart sort of thing where it's like, (laughs) hey, hey, what you doing? I'm shaving. Oh, I cut myself. What are you doing? I'm lying in bed. I can't get out of bed. And this whole thing where she's like, it, it, I don't know. It was just so beautiful. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, that moment where he's like, you know, get your fat, lazy ass out of that wreck, Rosalind. And I was just like. <laughs> I mean, just to, to, totally half hearted when he said it, too. You know, it's like. It's, oh, totally. Not, not even trying to be serious. It's just kind of like. Half-hearted. Well, I mean, come on now. Adama's Adama's a bit of a player. He knows. He's like, I, I, I'll give you I'll give you half speed on this one because I want you to know that I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, but I just thought that was a, just a great like almost. Because you almost, I mean, with the last episode, you almost expect it to just jump right in, be real intense and all this. But you start off with this little, it's almost like a, like you go into the entryway yeah. and you get a chance to kind of like decompress a little before you join the party sort of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, and I, I thought throughout the entire episode, the way that they weave the lyrics to All Along the Watchtower mm-hmm. into dialogue. Yeah. And really not in an, in an obvious way for like the first half unless you're really paying attention for it and maybe I'm just dim and I didn't I didn't really notice it the first time but I remember it took me about midway through this episode before I really caught on and I'm like wait a second yeah <laughs> I think something's up yep <laughs> but oh man it's, so, it's such a great oh and, and so this is actually the this is actually the the episode where Caprica Athena and Rosalind are in the opera house together and they kind of get that it was it last oh this is the one where they realize it okay yeah 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 um and of course then you have felix lying under oath um because he was not there when when baltar signed that the the death oh yeah he's 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 on a mission to get him convicted (laughs) oh oh yeah (laughs) railroad him put him i mean oh oh, yeah if if you're putting him in an airlock i want to push the button sort of sort of thing unless we not forget Disheveled Tori takes it to another level, mm. where she's uh, bunking up with Anders now. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was kind of weird. I mean, her character in like two episodes just all of a sudden goes from being this very put together, very organized, very just you know kind of uh, helper to the president sort of role to just being this you know 
<laughs> just just this 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 lady who just is like you know just just losing losing her mind losing her her uh just who she is i mean it's, it was just very uncharacteristic of her you know given what she has been uh across you know her time on on the show and stuff like that so to see her kind of in these moments is just very disorienting because you're like what is going on with her <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like come on and it, pull yourself and together if I had to pick a weak spot, that would be it. Because I really feel like that was the one part of this where we got this sudden disintegration of, of Tori's character. Who, like you yeah. said, was always very well put together. Always on the dot. Always like on, on the job. And all of a sudden now, she isn't. There's not really a good reason for it. They don't give a... They don't give a good reason why it has happened. Other than it, it gets, just sort of happens. Well, it, it does, but it gets worse the closer they get to the nebula. Well, yeah. So, but so it, it makes I, it. What I'm saying is, uh, there's like with Ty, yeah. you have, um, you know, he's he's a drunk, easy. Yep. You know, he's yep. a drunk and he hears stuff. Okay, perfect. We we know that. And then you have, um, you kind of have. Uh, you, I mean, we don't really see a ton from Tyrol other than, but I mean, you also kind of get this feel like he's struggled with these things before. Like he had that whole thing where he was picturing himself taking the swan dive on the hangar deck. Right. right. So you have the the seeds sown there. Anders Anders is dealing with the death of Starbucks. So I mean, yep. okay, there you go. But with Tori, it just comes out of the blue. Yes. That was. I mean, and and granted, it is it is a nit that I am picking, but. If I had to pick one, that's the one I'd say, ah, that's the part that really, if I had to find the, the thing that was kind of a little bit out of whack here, that's it. Granted, it is a yeah. very small nit, nit to pick, and I'm not going to, I'm just not saying it ruins the whole episode, but that's the one thing to me that if I had to find a negative, right. there it right. is. Yeah, uh, and Disheveled Tory should be a hashtag, totally. <laughs> hashtag Disheveled Tory. Uh, right up there with hashtag Drunk Apollo. Yeah, and so I mean, and and but Felix, uh, but Gaeta lying under oath basically puts Romo uh, Lampkin into uh, the the honorable or well, or kind of honorable Romo Lampkin into this position where he's like, I, I'm I've got to go with a nuclear option. Yeah, and he calls Lee to the stand, which is this well and, weird and, scene of you know. Yeah, and 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 I, I think the precursor to that though too is that discussion they have about the mistrial. Mm. That I think. I th you know, again, it's been a couple of weeks since I've watched it, but I think Apollo lets it fly that uh, his father said what he said. Well, yeah, he he does when he's in private with uh, with Baltar and right and uh, and and Romo, and that actually has a wonderful line in it too, where you know uh, Romo's like, you know, I'm a skilled liar and you're not. Yes, yes. So, you know, the fact that he shared that kind of makes the mistrial the, the the ultimate backup plan for them given that everything else is kind of falling apart yeah but he's gonna he the 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 changes or well the 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 trick in that is that he has to call lee to the stand he has to get him to basically testify as to what he heard his father say yeah. in order to get that through right so yeah. it's it really puts him it really is kind of like the nuclear option like now you're gonna have to go on the stand against your dad right no you're right you're right Oh, gee, let me go do that, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. So it's a yeah. That's that was a very it's a it's a tense scene, but then of course Apollo just does this thing where then all of a sudden you're like through that scene I'm like oh yes, he is his father's son. Yeah. Just the, just because the, the speech that he gives on the stand almost I felt like there's a lot of echoes from in tone if if anything from Adama's speech 
uh, at the in the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, you really do. Like all of a sudden, there's a connection there. Like, oh yeah, these two guys think very much along the same lines in some areas. Well, and and in his monologue, I mean, he and and it is a monologue. He he just goes yeah. off on uh, and gets to the heart of what the problem is here. It's like they're they're not really putting him to trial because of anything he actually did. They're mm-hmm. putting him to trial because the, the you know he, he says the trial is built on on emotion. And on shame mm-hmm. for what happened in New Caprica, and and for yes. those that ran away, and and guilt, and guilt, and and they're they're piling it all on him. And he makes a great statement where he's like, "What would any of you have done if you were put in his position to make that choice? What would you yeah. have done?" And he even draws himself into it, like none of you would be even be here if I got my way. Right, right, and 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 pointing out the fact that, uh, I mean, just articulating that had Baltar resisted, that the silence would have wiped them out. And, and then from there, he goes on this this whole rant about, you know, difficult choices they've all made. He brings up the Olympic carrier that he, you know, still carries guilt for. He brings up other decisions and choices that different members of the fleet have had to make that have resulted in mm. death. And, and and at the end of each one, he punctuates it with forgiven. Right. Yes. Like yes. Punctuating it with like not, not just a forgotten or it just went by, but forgiven. Right. You know, and he brings up the fact that the resistant fighters... And um, the conspirators were given blanket pardons and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And so he, he goes on this great monologue about how we're, they're, they're becoming less and less like a civilization and more like just a gang. Well, he even says, like, we're not a civilization. We are a gang on the run. Yes, yes. Which I'm like, that is totally it. Like, yeah, you can't be a civilization when you're on the run like that. You're not. You're not. Exactly. Anymore. Yep. You're just it's it's it is base survival yep. and whatever else you can grab. Yeah. Oh, oh those are fa- that was fantastic. I'm glad you brought that. Yeah. Up. The, the, that, that whole scene with him is just is fantastic. It's great acting. The one thing I would I, I would just ask you is, do you think it was a little unrealistic in the setting of a trial, though? Like, like, do you do you see Romo letting him go on and on and on like that when he's basic? I mean, I guess he is making the point for their defense of him, but he's not exactly testifying to what he intended to have him say. And so do you feel like it was kind of a little disingenuous in that he just kind of went on and on and on like that? No, I bought it completely because again, Lampkin is, he he is less, a a less of less of an attorney and and more of a, uh, like an agent of chaos Mm -hmm. in some ways. Like you never quite know what he's going to do. And I think he has that appreciation of like the unexpected. And so for me, I mean, just uh, judging it in purely non-dramatic, like, of, well, of course he's going to let him go because that's how the story works and that's how we're going to get these lines out. Right. Um, but if you go in, into the the character of who he is, I could see him totally just like, let's see where this goes sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and the, the great part about that is, you know, that, uh, that Adama, like Admiral Adama, originally they're, they're the, the tribunal, which is five judges, five captains of ships, and, and they, they don't want, they're going to like, no, no, we're not going to allow this. And, and Admiral Adama is the one who's like, no, let him speak. Yeah. You know, and it's, so it's almost this goading sort of back and forth between father and son and, and president and, and, and captain and all this. It, it's, it's an amazing little dance that's happening in this courtroom. Mm-hmm. Which all then results in Baltar being found not guilty yes. by by three to two, yep. and which then leads into the highly awkward scene between Adama and Rosalind, <laughs> where she's like, "Wow, 
So you just couldn't you couldn't convince those other, you know, you couldn't convince one other captain, any one of the others, and he has to basically be like, nope, I'm one of the ones who voted for him. Uh, I'm one of the three, not the two. Mm. And and it, which leads us to the the line of um, not guilty isn't the same as innocent. Right. Which man, again, it's one of those things where we don't want to necessarily believe it. We don't want to address it because we would. A lot of us would like to have that righteous retribution. Right. Exactly. But it, it isn't. Sometimes you're found not guilty. And it doesn't mean that you were completely innocent. It just means that within the framework of the law and the framework of the courtroom, mm-hmm. the evidence was not there to convict you. Yeah. And in some ways, that's the way it should be because you shouldn't be able to convict someone on 75%. Right, exactly. Yeah, and You and, just shouldn't. And, and, and they didn't have it. Yeah. They, they, they didn't have it. And, you know, and, and like you said, you know... Um, Gaeta lying um, only made it worse, but but I think it, yeah I think Apollo's you know what he said brought enough doubt into the mix where you're just like yeah I mean this this is not really a, a trial on the up and up it's it's a very it's all based on emotion not on evidence and I love just from a a writer and structure point of view like there was so much going on in this episode mm-hmm. so much in, in these two episodes really and actually three because it really is kind of a uh, a sun also rises crossroads three episode arc with this with this courtroom thing although it the the culmination is really in this episode yeah but there's so much there that all of a sudden now uh, we jump into the ionian nebula, nebula and everybody loses power the whole fleet is just adrift and you get that wonderful shot of all the ships just kind of drifting in three dimensions mm-hmm. and you're like oh crap something's going to bump into the tilium ship and the whole damn thing is going to go up and and then, of course, you know the Cylons show up, and every everything is going everything is going haywire, and you have Anders and Tori and Tyrrell and Ty all kind of wandering, and you start getting really obvious about the lyrics mm-hmm. then, and they all go into that one room. Yep. And and the one thing that I thought was great was Ty just showing up, almost like Reverend Jim from Taxi, <laughs> the way he comes in oh. is. is his 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 <laughs> uniform is all open, and he he just comes stumbling in like he the door opens like whoa yes yes oh that was fantastic that, that just killed me I was like oh I forgot about that yep. that was awesome that was that was fantastic and and but just that and then and then like that just that moment or two where they it just kind of hangs there and then of course you know Ty's just yelling like lock those fracking doors and and you know like almost like we're gonna sort this out now. Mm-hmm sort of thing and he's really then he becomes kind of the driving one of like 40 years of this and that and the other and that great you know the great lines that he has there of, of just this person just wrestling with this well like, and out and, loud and, and, and i like you know? i mean i like terrell's just kind of basic statement that you know we are cylons yeah and we have been since the beginning yes and oh one question for you though because because I, I after i watched it and again it's been a little bit so i'm, I'm struggling memory wise but um, I know Baltar revealed the final five to Rosalind and Adama. What was it like fleet wide that they knew about this though? I it, I don't imagine because because one thing I was questioning was why is that their immediate conclusion? Well, I mean, you think about it. I think people knew that there was twelve models, mm-hmm. and they'd only seen seven. And so, and so, because they were all drawn together because of this song that no one else could hear, that would imply they are. Yeah. Okay. And I think I think part of that too is uh, why that might not have 
necessarily been like a fleet wide thing of like, well, hey, who are the final five and this and that and the other. Probably a lot of that is compartmentalized, I would think, at higher levels. And they're, mm. they're going to try and keep some of that out. So you, maybe the people in the fleet never really knew how many Cylons that we had actually seen. Yeah. Things like that. And then the ones who, who actually did do the math and knew it were the kind of the wackos and stuff like that. But otherwise, I mean, hey, you're still just trying to fight for survival. So maybe that's not something that's on everybody's Cause, cause, brain. Yeah, because I know it makes sense to us as viewers. You know, I mean, it, it's, yeah. it becomes clear, okay, the, these are four of the models and it would explain why Deanna would apologize, yes. you know, because she, I, I, I think she looked at Ty. But then it still, it still leaves out one. Right. So there, there's, now you're there's like, one well, missing. Well, wait. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, but you don't even really have time to think about that because then all of a sudden the Cylons are there. Everyone gets power back. The Cylons are there. You know, Ty is telling them to, to get to their stations and Tyrell's like, what? Yeah. Like, that's what you're thinking of now. And he kind of, and, and you see Ty, like, it's very linear and, and straightforward for him. Like, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. And if I die today, this is who I'm going to die as. Right. And it's, it's like that he has made that decision, you know? Yeah, like, like and, I think he says something, what, what, whatever I am, this is what I'm going to be. You know, like, like, yes. like this, is, this is what I've known. This is who I've been. And I will continue yeah. to be this. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. So, so he's, he's very static in his stance on this that that he is mm-hmm. he is not going to let this change what he is and who he is even though he now has to process the idea that he is the very thing that he hates yeah and so now i mean we've we've been distracted with a whole uh you know the whole the the baltar thing so you kind of didn't think about necessarily the the final 5 and what was going on with ty yep. and listening to the the tunes in the ship brilliant so layer brilliant layer then you you hit that layer and you're like, oh man, now what? And so then, of course, you have that wonderful scene of, of Ty and Tori showing up in CIC. Yep. And they're both like, he's just here to help. No, I'm not definitely not a Cylon. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm on your side. <laughs> I, I, I think I noticed that more with Tori than Ty. You know, t- oh, Ty, totally. Ty, you know, Although Ty was so, like, all of a sudden so very official. Like, yes. Here behind you all the way, Admiral. Like, really? That. Okay. Tori's like, sure. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm here at your beck and call, miss. <laughs> you know? Yes. Just yes. like, oh, come on now. Oh, yeah. God. And, and uh, you, can, you can almost see, like, she actually, it, it feels like she combed her hair, like, on the way to the CIC because <laughs> she does look a little, <laughs> a, slightly more quaffed. That's um, right. That's right. So you're thinking about all that. And then, of course, you have, you know, the Cylon show and all this. And, oh, yeah, now there's one more thing. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, that's Starbucks. Well, before we go there. <laughs> Because like, you're wait a minute. Yes, but but what about Baltar? A man with no country. Yes. So yeah, so and there, then he gets just, pulled away by the the ladies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just real quick blurb on that. I, I just think it was very interesting that he, being very cocky after winning, uh, Lee kind of puts him in. Oh his yeah, place. I mean, he he went right back. Oh yeah, yeah, right back to being uh, being regular. You know, like I am the center of the universe, right. Baltar. And Lee puts him in his place, and then I love this. Mm-hmm. I love Baltar's whole thing with Romo. Like, hey, you know, I we, I I want to do this book deal, and I want you to do this. And he's like, uh, no, I have other clients to go deal with. You're on your own. And he, and there's just this like realization on his face of, I don't know where to go now. Yeah, <laughs> everybody well, hates me. <laughs> with with Lee, it's very reminiscent of of uh, of of when he won the presidency, and yeah. and and Adama's like. I suggest you take your victory and leave. Yes. 
Yes. You know, very, much so. very, very close in tone and almost in wording to that. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. He, he flipped that switch back real quick. Yep. Real quick. Yeah. And so, so just that look on his face and then with all the chaos of the ships and him just kind of roaming the halls and – you know, you kind of realize it's it's very similar. Um, there's a show I watched on uh, FX a while back called The Shield. And, um, I mean, it's been off the air for 10 years, so I don't mind spoiling it. But that that series ended in a very similar way as what Baltar ends with, where you, you have Michael Chiklis's character being the one who survives all the crap that his team did. And, and you, have guy, you know, two of his guys die, and one of the guys goes to prison for all the stuff they did. And he's stuck in this like FBI job where he's boxed in, in, in kind of his own prison. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like it's almost a prison of its own, of his own making that he doesn't yep. realize. And I feel like with Baltar, it's very similar because even though he wins, he, it, it kind of goes to what Adama said that not guilty doesn't mean innocent. And in the public, in the court of public opinion, people still don't like him. Oh, no. And so he's oh, walking no. the ship and he realizing he doesn't have any allies. He doesn't have any friends. And, um, you know, he's he's just kind of roaming around. And a whole lot of people have, have the key code to the airlock. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he's in kind of an interesting spot. But like you said, he ends up getting, you know, kind of rescued by these women, these mysterious women. And then he's off, you know, kind of off in some direction. And then we get to where you were going with Starbucks. Yeah, which again, it, again, because I'd even I'd even left out that like there's so many different things that happen so that by the time this this whole thing happens, I'm just wait you're waiting for like the fade to black, like as as the as almost like you know the the vipers and the Cylons are about to have a dog fight and you fade to black and that's kind of the the cliffhanger, but no, we got one more thing, and and of course Starbuck you know reappears, and I've been to Earth, I know how to get us there. And you do that zoom out, yeah. And it goes, and it goes all the way out. And then you zoom back in, and boom, there's Earth. Yep. Fade out, yep. like, holy crap! Like, I mean, it, you, we we talked briefly before recording about how we felt watching uh, the Watchmen uh, HBO series. That is probably kind of like the earliest that I could I I could equate some of the ways I felt about episodes after watching Watchmen to how I felt at the end of that episode. Just that, what the hell did I just watch? Yes. Yeah. What just happened? You know, I mean, you, you had so many twists in that last episode with Baltar being acquitted and what's going to happen with him. The final four, four out of the final five get revealed. Mm -hmm. Starbuck comes back out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and then there's earth. (laughs) It's like how, how how many more twists can you throw into that? You know, just throw them all just in. Throw, throw, them, throw them all in. It's like they just opened up all the floodgates. Like yes. just do all the things. Yeah. Do all the things. Yeah. But yeah, fantastic half season. I mean, oh good lord, and 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 to such a loaded group of uh of episodes, and then to even have these last two even more tightly packed yeah. was impressive, yeah. to say the least. Well, and and it's nice because it tees up what is going to be the direction of season four, which is, you know, finally the, 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 the final journey to earth, whatever mm-hmm. form that may be in. Welcome to earth. That'll take on more meaning when, when we get to those episodes. Yes. Yes. Which we'll see when that's going to be. We're, we're trying to kind of alternate a little bit after doing a couple of these back to back. These are not easy ones to, epi- to, to edit. <laughs> no, they take a little time. Yeah, they do. So I, 
I need I need to get myself a breather in between these. So we'll see we'll see uh, when the next when we get into season four. But man, ooh, good lord, it's a doozy. It is a doozy. It is a doozy. All right, so let's uh, let's head right into and another thing. And another thing. So we we yammer and yammer and yammer and yammer and yammer. And then at the end, we try to kind of redeem ourselves by passing along some stuff that we've enjoyed that you might also enjoy. So you feel like you actually got something out of the the time that you've spent with us. We'll go uh, one apiece here and we'll go with you first, sir. So mine will be quick. Uh, It is a a show I've been watching for the last, uh, I think it's four years. I think it came out in 2015 called Silicon Valley on HBO. Um, it is, uh, I, I will forewarn that, you know, it's, it's got some, uh, crude matter in it, but it is a, an extremely funny satirical take on, uh, Silicon Valley and tech companies as a whole. Um, it just premiered, I think last Sunday, uh, two Sundays ago, I think, and is just the story of, uh, these four developers as they kind of navigate their way through Silicon Valley and creating their own startup and all the tomfoolery and hijinks that, uh, ensues as they do it. If you've worked in the tech industry, uh, and you've you've probably are someone who's already watched it, but it is it is a really funny take, um, and there's there's a lot of uh, things that I've related to from you know what I've done in, in the different places I've worked um, to 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 some of the matter that that they cover in this in the show. So um, just just a funny show all around. Um, so yeah, it certainly started season. The the, the early seasons are much more interesting. Um, I, I'm already getting a little annoyed with this last season, but. Um, <laughs> That seems to be a, a a trend in final seasons. Well, it's it's more because with this show, this show really should have been a four season show. Um, I think you can only play the card of geniuses making you know foolish decisions so many times before you finally just get tired of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yep. Um, you know, there's certainly bad decisions you can make, but making foolish decisions are just kind of like really. I mean, if these guys are as smart as they are, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to yeah. suspend reality a little bit there, but. But the comedy is really funny, and uh, it's 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 just a really really well put together show um, that uh, captures that that spirit and essence I think of of the tech industry and some of the you know some some of the um, just uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for um, not, good question not facetious but uh, when when someone is pretending pretentious you know what I'm saying some yes. some pretentious aspects of uh, what what happens with with these people who when they make it big. Um, and, and kind of the, the morals that, that tend to, you know, bleed away a little bit as, as you, you become more and more successful. So, uh, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really kind of an interesting, uh, interesting and funny show. So Silicon Valley, HBO, check it out. Uh, good for some laughs. Nice. Uh, well, mine is, uh, I, I recently, well, recently, uh, the other night, (laughs) Friday night, I had a chance to, uh, to venture into the heart of Boston and, uh, attend, a uh, a showing of Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, I've been a Kevin Smith fan uh, since uh, way back in college, and uh, as a matter of fact, it just it reminded me. I went to this sh- uh, this show uh, as you as you may or may not know. Kevin Smith is on his uh, reboot road show right now, which basically they go around to different theaters, not actual like cineplexes or anything like that, but old school kind of theaters where they'll still show films, and they are doing. A showing of the film and then Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes do a question and answer kind of thing afterwards and it's a it's kind of a big event and it's cool and he's actually set a lot of records for um, for revenue at different theaters because it, you know he he sell he's been selling these things out like I went to the Wilbur Theater 
in uh, in Boston. There was a 7:30 show, sold out. Wow. There was a 10:30 show. They added a show after the show that we went to, and it also sold out. Jeez. We got to get paid. So he's been doing really well with this, and so uh, it reminded me. So the, the friend I went with, uh, uh, my friend Mike who we are eventually going to have on as a guest for a, a special Rush episode because he is a Rush fanatic. Yes, I'm, I'm working on the format for that show, my friend, let me tell you. Yeah, you're going to have to because I've got nothing to say. Because I, <laughs> if, if any of you have listened to this podcast and thought, I just wish Todd would shut up, that is a perfect episode to listen to because I'm going to have nothing to say the whole time. <laughs> I might grunt a little bit. That'll be it. But anyway, so the, we went, uh, my buddy Mike and I went to this, and he's the one who first got me to watch Kevin Smith uh, movies in the first place, and we used to go on these road trips, epic road trips, uh, back and forth to Virginia to visit another uh, another college friend of ours. Uh, so doing like 12 hours driving straight down, and then, and then stay a couple days, and then come back 12 hours straight. And one of the, I think it was the second time that we did the down and back, on the way back, we actually detoured to Red Bank, uh, New Jersey. Uh, to go to Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash, which is Kevin Smith's comic book store in Red Bank, New Jersey, his hometown in New Jersey. Oh, interesting. And and this was before, like, GPS or anything. This was, like, uh, AAA uh, triptychs. Oh, good Lord. Uh, so you had, like, the highlighted route and all that. So we went completely off the map oh, and had no idea where the hell we were. So it was fantastic. And so he went with me, uh, which was great. And it was a great, uh, great time. It was a great way to see the movie. If you can go during this tour that he's doing, like if you can go to one of the showings, it's definitely more than it'll cost you to go to a regular theater. Mm -hmm. But I can't describe what it's like to sit in a theater with like 12, 1,300 other people who all get all the jokes. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Because this is such an inside movie. Like, yeah. uh, like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was kind of the the first movie before this and it's making fun of reboots and remakes which is something we've already talked about on this podcast and it's such an inside movie where you have to kind of have seen all the other movies in order to get it yeah to get all the jokes and to be in an audience that gets all the jokes and who when you know like someone comes up on the screen everyone would cheer so i'm, <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to plunk down another 10 damn dollars to go see this in a theater so that i can catch all the lines that i missed while i and everyone else was applauding so that was it was great but i think the the thing that is is great best about this movie is i'm really digging like kind of older kevin smith mm -hmm. Because his movies, always, they always had a heart. They always had a very you know, strong emotional center. But I really feel like that has come to the forefront. And I really feel like he's doing it some of his best work now. Like yeah. I, I, I really thought uh, Clerks 2 was his best movie. Mm -hmm. Because of just the emotional aspects of it. And maybe it's because, really, I mean, I'm, I'm like the very close in age to him. Yeah. So we've, yeah. we're kind of at the same place in, t in, in our lives. Like... I think, you know, our kid, like, you know, we both have kids and all that. And so, I mean, there's that similarity there where the stuff that is emotional to him is also kind of emotional to me because I'm kind of in that same general area of my life. Yeah. yeah. And I, he's just done it so well in this movie where you think, like, oh, great, uh, a movie about the, the two stoners who were in that other movie. <laughs> And and Giant, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is a great flick. Like yeah. it's a funny flick. It's a fun flick to watch. I was watching it the other night after I went and saw Jay and Silent Bob reboot because I was like, I can't go to sleep because I had a coffee on the way home because mm -hmm. I'm old. 
So I was winding down. I watched it. I'm like, yeah, this is still funny. The But Reboot has this emotional center that that movie just didn't... It, it had, but it wasn't quite as refined. Yeah, yeah. And this one here, it just hits you like a ton of bricks, especially if you're like... If you're a parent, especially if you're a dad, because there's there's aspects of this movie that just deal with that whole like being a dad sort of thing. Yep. And it's it's fantastic. Yeah. It is fantastic. If you can go to see it with a uh, with other View Askew fans, do it. But otherwise, just go to a cinema and see it. Get the man some money. It's a fantastic <laughs> movie. It really is. It's a fantastic. Make sure the man movie. gets paid. You know, because Farouk got to eat. That's too. right. Well, um, and and you know, just I'll, I'll throw in my two cents. I mean. Not, I can't claim to be uh, at the same level as, as you in terms of fandom because really watching Clerks in, in the old apartment with you has pretty much been my only experience. But I will say, watching Clerks, I was always I, it always struck me how he so perfectly captured like just the minutia and kind of the nuances of our generation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of what makes you know, especially in Clerks, some of the dialogue so funny is. And, and this kind of plays a, a bit with Silicon Valley as well is you, you've been in those positions before, you know, like you, you've yes. been in those dialogues and, and so you can totally relate to it. And, and it just, you, you know, just, just the, the way it's written and the hilarity that ensues from what's said is just, is so funny. Totally. And I, I felt that way about office space. Yeah. Yeah. I had so many people tell me, Oh, you got to see, you got to see this movie. You got to see this movie. And I, I started to watch it. I made it like 15, 20 minutes in and I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't get it because I'd never had an office job when I watched it. Right. Right. Then I got a job in an office and I watched it like a year later. I'm like, Oh, I get it now. I get it. I've been in that meeting. I've been in that meeting. I know that person. Mm -hmm. I work with that person. Oh dear God. I hate that person. (laughs) You know, like it, it it all made sense, you know? So yeah, yeah, there is, there are those things that, that kind of tie into it and that they're, it's great that when people can really express it in this way that makes you go, yes, Yes. that, that. All right. So, uh, now we come to the portion of the show where we must say goodbye because it's getting late and we need to have our, our rice pudding and <laughs> go watch Murder, She Wrote. Uh, it's November, actually, so we're who, not to figgy pudding yet. We're at rice pudding right now. Who am I kidding? We're both going to go and watch Watchmen now because it's Sunday as we're recording this and a new episode just hit tonight. So as long as uh, neither of us go unconscious, I have a feeling we're both <laughs> going to be racing to the HBO Go app. <laughs> But at this point, uh, I just I, I always like to say thank you to everybody who has uh, who has downloaded and listened. If you've made it this far, dear sweet fancy Moses, get yourself a drink because you deserve it for listening to these chuckleheads for the past three hours. Salute! Cheers to you, bub. And now, uh, what we usually do at the end of this is uh, I always like to. I, I feel like I always I always talk too much. And it's my nature. I grew up as a chunky fat kid. So I, I'm Stop trying it. to compensate throughout my entire life. You know, you shop in the Husky section at Sears that long. You're always trying to catch up throughout life. So what I like to do is I like to hand off the baton to Tim and let him take the anchor leg home because I'm, he never lets me down, has never let me down ever, ever, ever. And I give him the final word of this show every single time. Well, maybe I think I took it once. But that didn't go well, so I'm I'm always giving it to him Except now. Except for that one Shafly ending, that just didn't work. <laughs> well, even that, even that was better than the crap I had in the holster, <laughs> sir. So you're you're still doing well. 
so I always hand it off to him to give him the final word to take us home to deliver to deliver the benediction for the podcast that is free range idiocy. So my question to you, sir, is what do you want to share with the people today? Well, we we ha- we have covered much. Uh, it, it has once again been a marathon. Uh, mm-hmm. But 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 looking back at what we've talked about, you know, Hilo, good man. Ty, mm-hmm. what a drunk. Tori, mm-hmm. disheveled. And Apollo, mm-hmm. you drunk man. Find your ring, for goodness sakes. And of course, mm-hmm. always remember, as Mick Foley would say, have a nice day. And on your way out, hit the lights, please. I got the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? Damn! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out. And don't come back until you've received yourselves. So say we all. So say we all. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Well done, sir. (laughs) That was fun.